You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Nerf Herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone? There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. Welcome, everybody, to We Have Issues, Geek Elite Media show that's about everything literary, books, comic books, web comics, manga, and everything else you might be reading. We are here to talk about it. As always, I am your host, Keith, and I'm joined by my Star Wars sidekick, who's always at my side, Hosway. Hey, and it's not even like a price thing. It's just like, I hate that I'm saying this, but I have to cut back on some comics. <laughs> I hear you, man. I 19 mean, indies for in just in a, a span of 24 hours and not including big two stuff. Oh, my God. When it just piles up like this sometimes. like, And a lot of these are actually ending, so that's, that's kind of cool, too. But sad for some of them are actually great fucking books. But, yeah. oh, my God, there's so many. <laughs> hey, man, that's on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I will say in the last week from New Comic Book Day to New Comic Book Day, I spent more on comics than I did for my rent this month. Holy shit. Between the two day, the two new comic book days and over the weekend, I went to the closing sale of the Samurai Comics Mesa location oh, and yeah. spent more that day than I did on either of the other days. Holy shit. So, yeah, it was it was brutal, but I, it, yeah, it was worth it. I don't care. A lot of great finds, though, on that, on that stack, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're here to talk about our rating. Now, I did have one quick news story, and I completely forgot. We we were like, oh, no news. And I just remembered one quick thing. Um, we don't talk about manga a lot anymore, because we really don't have time on this show. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite one of, one of of my favorite manga was canceled. Um, and that's I Tell C, which was a story oh. about a young female detective who solved crimes by falling in love with the criminals. Oh, that's right. Oh, really? That's such a great premise. It, yeah, it only went 21 volumes, and I'm really annoyed by that. Or 21 chapters, I should chapters. say. So I'm really annoyed by that. So uh, check it out if you can. It's still on the Shonen Jump app. Um, but um, that left me with just My Hero, My Hero uh, Vigilantes, and of course, Magu-chan um, <laughs> as the manga that I was reading. And just so coincidentally, this week, there was a new one starting called The Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Which Ooh. is kind of like what if Red Riding Hood hunted monsters, and it's oh, pretty cool. cool. So it's chapter one this week, so it worked out pretty well, and I picked that one up. So check that out if you guys are interested. So, man, my hero right now though, like Deku just needs to like oh. just chill, chill out, bro. Just stop. Yeah. Well, you read this week. Oh right? fuck yeah! <laughs> the last oh, page. Oh my god. 
Shippers went crazy. Anyways, we're not here to talk about manga at the moment. <laughs> so we're here to talk about comics, and we have such a stack in front of us that I'm not going to waste any more time with you guys, and we're going to jump straight into this. You guys know, as always, we don't start with a bang. We start with a boom. And Boom Studios has given us a couple gems this week. I would love to start with Josue telling me about one I didn't pick up, which is Power Rangers Unlimited number one. Man, Power Rangers Unlimited, Edge of Darkness, bye. Holy shit, Frank Gogol finally got a Power Rangers gig. Hell yeah, he did. Good for him. We love you. <laughs> yeah, good for him. <laughs> Along with Simone uh, Ragazzoni and Igor Monti. Keith, do you know a lot about Power Rangers? Are you familiar with Power Rangers lore? Um, I mean, Power Rangers, yes. not, not so much Zenkaiser, because then there's like each series actually is different from other, all the other ones. But from the original series till about Power Rangers in space. Oh, then cool. Then you know... The Phantom Ranger. Yes, I do, yes. This, dude, Frank Ogle really, like, just like, if, we, if I'm going to have, like, my first story, let me tell, I guess, like, the origins, or at least, like, the lost origin tale of the Phantom Ranger, mm-hmm. and why he's so mysterious, and fuck. So, it, op- it, it opens and closes in the present day, and we just get transported to a, fl- a flashback. A flashback of over 10,000 years. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the Phantom Ranger was basically... He, it becomes kind of a Mandalorian story. It's like, I'm not gonna lie. It's like a, like the quick premise. But Zordon, uh, sends the Phantom Ranger on a mission 10,000 years ago to rescue or at least like recruit or at least like save Princess Little Girl Rita before she turned dark side. And it all goes to shit. It's like, and there's a whole thing. I guess like it's, it becomes like him, her, and Rita's mom, who's also part of like the lore. And there's like some episodes with her. And you pretty much get the whole premise on how and why the husband became Master Vile, Mr. Vile, and the whole thing with Dark Spectre, um, the the giant lava dude from Turbo, but that's not really him. It's the one from In Space, the real Dark, Dark Spectre, but Power Rangers likes to copy some outfits when they shouldn't have to, when they could use right. other ones. <laughs> anyway, um, it becomes a whole clusterfuck of shit that happens, and at the end, it's just like, and, and it's kind of does become a, a whole kind of a rogue one situation where like you know in in the end what kind of happens to certain characters and inevitably like with with rita it's like it's just crazy that there was supposed to be a whole timeline that she was supposed to be a good a good person and i hate to say a good guy uh but uh but then yeah like master vile ends up ends up capturing her and the whole thing like with uh phantom ranger almost sacrificing himself but not really because the whole thing that gets revealed is that he is part of the power grid or he's made out of like the power grid like stuff or like light which is not really there's not really a person in there it's just something that's like holding it together uh making it so fucking cool and that's what's holding him and the whole time he didn't really die when the the, the space station like, like exploded and mr vile like, uh, left off with rita uh, he just stayed suspended in space until he was pretty much like was able to recover and then we cut to the present and and pretty much like him contacting back to Zordon being like, yo, the the plan's fucked. Like uh, Dark Spectre has made it through. And it's supposed to be a one shot. So I'm actually curious where it's going to span out from here. Or if Frank is, is actually going to secure a job for like a mini or maybe an ongoing series of his own. Because yeah, Frank, Frank Google Power Rangers has been like a thing that's been like happening. And I'm, I'm glad he finally got his gig. Yeah, no, honestly, it was awesome to get a Phantom Ranger story because you just don't know much about him. So the whole the cool thing about him is like the mystery, you know. But yeah, yeah. this is actually really cool. I um no, I remember I I gave up during that one because I remember was that the one where there was um one of the Rangers was actually an alien dude 
he had like blonde, long blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the best one came out during Turbo, like the Cars one, is when he actually made his debut. But it was, but it, yeah, but it was the space one was the last one I watched with him. I remember okay. one of the girls in that was one of the hottest women I've ever seen in my life <laughs> when I was a little kid. I, I had a crush on the Yellow Ranger from In Space too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was like, uh, hello. So, yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Boom Studios' next book is the end. Of Ooh. what a charming, amazing, fun little book, and a book I should mention. Hostway, you appeared on a, you did a guest appearance about uh, queer comics with our yes. friends, and this book didn't come up, and I was really shocked. I completely missed out. I mean, there were so many books that were talked about, yeah. and I, yeah, you're right. This one should have been highlighted as well. Yeah, I, I thought that maybe one of the others would bring it up because they were bringing up a lot of like younger style mm-hmm. queer books. So, but I was like, oh, uh, so Spectre Inspectors number five. Uh, creative team created and written by Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto. Art by Bowen McCurdy. Letter by Jim Campbell. That's why I got this cover. Yes. And then I also got this variant. It was such a nice variant, too. Yeah. It's so cool. It's the last issue. You know, I thought mm-hmm. it was splurge. So I really enjoyed this book. For those who don't remember, it's about a group of ghost hunters who kind of uh, get in over their head with a real demon mm-hmm. and um, they're trapped in this town and they have to solve this mystery. And it's done in a really fun, charming way. There's a lot of LGBT representation as I hinted at. Um, and each character is unique and fun. And I just really, really enjoyed this. And I think it came to a really satisfactory ending. So what do you think? Honestly, I completely agree. Especially like, it, I mean, if he can capture like a good monster design, I'm, I'm going to love the book. You add queer representation into like a YA book and it's just gonna be like, holy shit, you're really trying to creep me out here. You're really trying and you're telling a fucking like a real story here. I'm all about it. And then, yeah, and it's, it's just, it's sad to see this book go, especially when a premise like this could just go into like another season or something, especially with like the shit that they do. But, um, no, like the way they were, the way the, the whole curse was resolved was actually, yeah, like the way it's said in the book, it's actually pretty clever. And then you get another monster design and you're like, fuck, I just, I never want to leave this world. I really like this book a lot. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I think the characters, especially the main two, Mm -hmm. get a really nice resolution. And it does leave it open for future adventures, which I I hope so. So, yeah, I do too. All right, that brings us to our last boom book, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number seven. (laughs) Written by Al Ewing, illustrated, as always, wonderfully by Simone DeMeo, colored by Maria Sotomayota, Miyoti, excuse me, and letter by Anne World Design. Um, when we reviewed the last issue, I was kind of like, okay, we're taking a new direction. Um, the first five issues were were, were one storyline, and this one is very clearly the next storyline, the next volume. It's it's attached, but very sparsely attached. Um, this issue makes those attachments; it builds those attachments more, so that we can see it. And for the first time, I really started to get to click with this world a lot in this issue, I think. Um, I started actually paying attention to the years of everything. So I'm going to be like, oh, this oh, was yeah. then. Because there were so many, like, and I'm like, oh, wait. And then I have to, like, go back and look at it. But in this one, I'm like, wait, what year is that? Let me go. Okay. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this makes sense here. And, I was, and so I really started to piece together. And I think, like, I think it's because I really like Jason as a character, what the, what we saw in this issue. I really enjoyed him. He's probably my favorite character so far in the series, just based on this issue. So, um, but yeah, it was really cool and really interesting and the choices he had to make and everything. It's obviously very dark, but super enjoyable. Uh, what, what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, no, it was cool. <laughs> it was no, you're right. And I, I think what what really kind of stood out about this book it was that it was actually, I guess, linear as far as like the years. It wasn't really hopping back and forth. It was more like I was going back and forth, figure like seeing how linear it was going or how how many years were taking place between t- getting this backstory. Because yeah, there's like a big missing piece on like Jason just. We get we get Jason back, sure, but he's like hella fucking older. But it's like, what did happen? And like yeah. the way you put it, it really connects like book one and book two, or at least like just like put it, putting the book together, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of dark shit that happens, a lot of bodies <laughs> that happen a lot of, on the ground. And then the end, man, it just makes me even more curious about the like like was it Madame Ambassador? She's kind of a badass, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. Like it's like I don't know what card she's playing, but. It's just like, all right, I guess like I guess we're all along on the for the for the ride now because she's literally taking over. So I love her. She's great. I'm wondering how they're gonna pull it off because they're still just trying to steal the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. So I'm also curious if the dead gods are actually dead. Yeah, how if they're dormant or not. More yeah. dormant than dead, yeah. I've been thinking about that. So <laughs> awesome. Uh yeah, definitely pick it up, guys. Uh, but I mean, let's be honest. It's one of the biggest indie books on the planet. You're probably already picking it up, but if you're not, do so. Um, next up, we're going to move on to Behemoth Comics. Hosefay's got a book for us. You Promised Me Darkness, number three. Yes, Damien Connolly's You Promised Me Darkness by Behemoth Comics. So, speaking of linear comics, this one finally actually told a linear tale. And I was actually comprehend more. was able to comprehend more of the story, only... Now that I do, now that I'm, I am following kind of like the plot points here. God, do I wish like this book would actually just take its time to like elaborate on its characters? Because like I kind of, I, I in this book you finally do see kind of like the two sides finally meeting or, or fighting. But for the life of me, because if it's not for like the the person on the cover, I don't know what side is the good side or the bad side. So I'm kind of like I'm only following this one character. So it's kind of like, are is the rest of his team? It should. It should just because like by like the standing alone, but the other side is like they have cool powers or they're making like some interesting arguments or interesting points. I kind of wish they we would get more out of those characters too, just so I can be on the, like on the safe side of choosing or knowing who's who and what's what. Because it's such a strange fucking book. Like there's there's a character that's literally has like um like just a Doberman's head. It's just like a it looks like a teenage body, but it's just like a dog head, and it's like okay. I think that guy that was around, but I wish it was elaborated more because it's kind of like when he comes in and says this, I would have liked it have actually held some weight, you know? So it's just so hard to fucking follow this book. But I'm just like, but I love the layouts of the pages. I love the physical pages themselves, like how it feels like, not like construction paper, but like that thick material. So it's like, it's just like these splash pages, pages. I just like, I can't hate on it. So I just like, it just makes me so compelled to just come back to it so i don't know but but at least it's, it's starting to make a little more sense it's for sure one of those like it should have been more of a trade read but with behemoth comics it's like i don't think i've ever seen a trade from behemoth comics so I might as well just kind of follow it this way yeah so yeah, that was a quick review for that one because it's just like i'm still trying for that one nice all right uh moving on let's talk about idw and mm. uh show favorite series kanto yes um so this one is Canto 3 and the City of Giants. And so this is kind of Canto 2.5? Yes. So we had Canto 1, and then we had the one-shot. The Clockwork and then, we, and then we had Canto 2. Yeah. Which, 
and uh, then now this is the one taking place before Canto three. Yes, it's kind of a little side story. So awesome. Um, so uh, created by David Boer and Drew Zucker. Story is by David Boer, but uh, Sebastian Breeze does the art for this arc, and letter by Anne World. Um, so we wrap up this mini arc. It's only three issues long, and Canto and the witch have to work together. And um, I absolutely love the design of the witch. Like, yeah, there's so much little things I absolutely love. I love the the eyeballs. I love the the switchback legs. Like, there's just so many great things about this character that I absolutely love. And um, there's one thing we talked about when we reviewed the very first volume of Canto. I love little moments in these books where they decide to make a funny joke, like just, just right in the middle of a scene. So yeah. like the part where they come back to the giants and the giant is like, <laughs> dude, did you hear something? She's like, all right, it wasn't funny the first time. <laughs> like, yeah. I like, Honestly, yeah. I really dug that. <laughs> like, yeah, like they did that in the first one with the other two giants actually, which mm-hmm. is ironic. So, um, but yeah, basically Kanto is able to finish it and he doesn't recruit all the giants to a system. But he does get Fra and Ba. <laughs> yes. Which should be good. <laughs> and, of course, they're going to get new legs. So he leaves the witch to build them some new legs. And him and his uh, fellow Cantos <laughs> go on a journey uh, towards Volume 3. So uh, I, I really love it. I'm, go- I'm Obviously, I'm going to keep buying it until it's done. Like, oh, hell yeah. There, so it's, it's like Canto for fucking life, dude. Now, Kanto is a badass. It just goes to show, like, another book where he proves how much of a badass he is t- taking care of, like, the, the horn dude with the witch. And you're right. The design is, is really cool. I love how, like, how like, how witchy it is. But I'm honestly, I'm really stoked how what contraptions, like, they'll come up for uh, Fry and Bach. Because it's going to be really fucking cool what they come up with. Especially they already have, like, all, the, all those contraptions with that they're having, what they're working with, like, the clockwork fairies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, I, like, I like their own legs, right? They're not really, like, slim down the legs like almost like perfectly animatronic they come off like the side so like her st- like their stature is just like it's it's so weird like, i i i like the design of the witch too yeah definitely i don't know i'm i'm really excited um again i've said this before but i'll throw it out again kanto gives me really myth- mythological vibes in that you know it's the hero and he's gathering this allies of different kinds and you know Mm-hmm. making friendships to go against the dark, big darkness it's just you know mytholo- mythology 101 and it's just really really well done i really enjoy it so uh next up hostway talk to me about bad idea and eniac for dude fucking eniac uh this one written by matt kent uh drawn by doug braithwaite and colored by diego rodriguez or letter by diego rodriguez um fuck dude the ending so we left off with our two super dope spies got in front of like where they're supposed to like turn in the virus to kill an ENIAC only for this box to just say, welcome like Fletcher and, and, and we're just calling them by name. Like, please enter the device. And it's like, well, fuck, should we feed it to him or not? Is it what he wants or is it the actual virus? Before we get to that one, we, we do open with a little prologue with, one of them, um, I think it's Fletcher, one of the spies, basically. Her mom was one of them. Like, we do get this backstory from one of the other issues where her mom was actually kind of was brainwashed. Like, she did serve, like, the military, and that's how she got in contact with ENIAC. And at that point, she was kind of like, she succumbed to, I think she wasn't brainwashed because she, she says not, she wasn't brainwashed, but ENIAC was able to recruit a whole colony of people. So I think kind of going like, into their own vault. And then thus, people started reproducing. And one of them being, 
Fletcher, and then she in the end got to escape. But in that process, she had a specific toy, like one was like speak speak and talk, or yeah, speak and talk toys. Apparently, the whole time Eniac was programmed into that thing, the whole time Eniac had been like putting himself out there, almost like in, in these like subliminal messages throughout the world and 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 pop culture media, basically. And so now come coming back to the two spies and what, what they should do. They also have like their own team and they're like, Oh shit. Any, I got to the super spies. We should just kill them too. So everything's going to kind of go into a clusterfuck and you start believing it. You start seeing it that yeah. Um, Fletcher. Yeah. Fletcher and Falk um, that Fletcher was like, she was basically like, being programmed by ENIAC to do this, to finish this. And in the end, she was able to put that wire into it. So she fed the thing. And then the other one, Falk, just like gets pissed and just like breaks down like the, the machine. Turns out it's like a door. And when you go in, they go in, it's empty. ENIAC is, wasn't there. The only thing that was there was like when I was like speaking talks and just says, goodbye, Fletcher. And thank you. And then the what the fuck of it all happens. ENIAC succeeds, right? The whole time the world pretty much got together for a second and was going to go invade ENIAC in a bunch of different bases where like nuke heads were. And ENIAC knew this. There's a, but he, he had his own little Skynet army of drones that were just fending off and fighting off like all these military like uh, tactics. And ENIAC sets down a countdown from 10 and launches all the nukes. The whole world seizes. The whole world is freaking the fuck out seeing these rockets go up in the air. And that's what they do. They just keep going and going forever. And that's pretty much what ENIAC was 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 after. Not necessarily for us. He could have just been, been away with us. But his whole plan was that through one of those warheads, he was also going to send himself. And then thus he landed in Mars, where he, which he was already kind of making his own little, not colony, but his own little launching pad, like the size of a baseball, so he can just flick himself even further away from us. So in the end, he kind of he did save us because now there's there's no actual power around the world with new kids. Um, it's, there is kind of a vacuum, but at least like it's now lesser for us to learn all over again. While he just he never just wanted anything to do with this. Yeah, he fucked up along the way. But he just knew how fu- how shitty we all were, so he's just like, I gotta get out of here myself. I'm just like a prison, my own prisoner here with these fucking people. So peace. And then that's cool. It was actually really fucking. I was not expecting that, and I just th- I thoroughly enjoyed this book. All four issues in. Nice. All right, and, yeah, and that was Eniac. <laughs> Let's move on to image. We have a stack of image this week. Oh fuck yeah, um, dude. Well, Josue does. I have one. Uh, so, Josue, I'm going to kick it to you. Let's start with that Texas Blood 7. This is a return, right? They've been gone a while. Yes. This is yeah. returning. Um, but it, it, it technically counts as their volume 7, as they put it. And I fucking knew that because in between, like, I think it was issues 2 and 3, or 3 and 4, it had said end of, like, the first chapter, end of the first volume, and then it started over. And we got and we got the conclusion of that whole wrapped-up story, which is a little two-parter. And now, yes, this is starting over, but it's they're saying it's three, but it's basically volume two, starting with seven. I hella enjoyed this one. It's so it's like the book I was talking about it before. I was kind of comparing. It's like it's like my my comic, No Country for Old Men. You get this old sheriff, and he's like my Tommy Lee Jones, and he's trying to solve this mystery around. And we do still follow him. Is he's basically the the main character? The other 
you would, you wouldn't really call him a protagonist once you read it. But the other guy that, were, that was following the mystery coming back into town, he has nowhere to be seen here. I think he's we're done with him. It's really the sheriff, and we might be telling a present day past story just because it might be like a serial killer has returned or, or something like that. Uh, but what got really interesting is that it go it got very culty, mm. which wasn't there to begin with. Yeah, it was dark. It was you got that that like deserty town like dark side like tale but it never got like this culty side and it started getting a little creepy on, on some parts so i'm like fuck what are we gonna dive into and then yeah the backstory is like taking place like in the late 80s and they do bring up a satanic cult but then there was like this um they kind of corrected where it wasn't really a satanic cult it was just like what the media it was like the it was like the easiest way to, to for the media to, to call it that but it was just something else um so yeah that takes a lot of just starting over, so I'll be quick with it because it's not really elaborating that much. But what's really cool is that now, like, or like in in the letters in the back, the way it's described, the way the the writer actually describes it is um, so. While the last volume of our series was tooted by a copy like like Par- like Paris, Texas, gut punched by No Country for Old Men, which was my high note. This volume issues seven through twelve should be described as. The Grand Budapest Hotel strangled by the Night Stalker. And that got me so fucking excited for, for this volume in particular. And in the end, dude, I'm so glad they're fucking doing this. Um, Chris Condon took it upon himself to um, make his own playlist based on, like, for, like, the feel for volume three, for, like, issues nice. seven through 12. And it's, like, I listened to it. It's, like, an hour and 24 minutes long. And there's actually great selections, like, westerny country songs. And then sprinkled in between are, like, um john carpenter instrumentals to kind of add that vibe to it dude i'm actually really excited that 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 texas blood is back (laughs) like where the first volume was pretty cool this issue alone already just like is is already elevating the whole book itself so yes nice all right two moons five is this the finale um man see i don't i don't know so two moons five writer by john arcudi artist by valerio gian giorando um Colors by Bill Crabtree, lettering by Michael Hessler, Heisler. There's no really like the end, and there's no really to be continued. But it is kind of like that open ended. We don't see what happens to Two Moons in the end, or where he's heading off to. So I can see where that ending is, but it's almost like, well, now he, now that he knows what's there for him, now we should explore that, right? Like have him learn all these fucking like his ancestral ways, like. Of the, of the supernatural stuff that was already there, always there for him instead of just being a horror show that this book was. So <laughs> in this one, we open up with the trial. And for a second, it's almost, I, was, I'm, I was reading it like it's for Virgil when it's like where we last left off, turn the page, and that's where it is. The clusterfuck of all of the monsters and demons coming to to get Virgil back to Moons and then the their other prisoner, which is one of their demons. And now... And it's pretty much like a, the a small band of of uh, Union soldiers and one nurse and a few other people, and they don't know what the fuck to do because there there's just demons standing in front of them, and they the demons give them like just like a chance, like all right, yeah, basically have like ten minutes to give us like what we want, or we're coming in there and just getting them anyway. So in all this, like they pretty much like let Virgil two moons out, and they give him a sword, and he just starts fucking kicking ass. Um, he gets one of the demons by surprise, like the dude from the first one that he killed. And now they, actually, they have to believe him because it's obviously he's standing there in front of them. So they basically get their militia together and they they start 
the, I forget what the tactic is, but they start loading up the cannonballs with a bunch of other like, so they can just like spray out a bunch of other iron instead, instead of just the cannon the the cannonball. And this whole time, Tumis is just getting way more aggressive and way more aggro and savage going through these demons. He gets a like a prem, like a, not a premonition, but like some of his answers just pop pop in front of him, and they're like, "Yo, chill out," or like they specifically say, "Say don't let their their blood touch you." What is kind of like what's well, already kind of hard to do, and he just doesn't give a fuck. He just goes right through them, goes even more aggro, and it's almost like trigger something. And this is where I kind of want to believe that it's like you can't just bring up a warning like that in the last issue and then just like have him double down on not listening to it and then come out on the other end, you know? Especially when you get to see like that smile that where he's enjoying it uh, of him killing demons and and it's kind of supposed to be a good thing, but it's kind of a bad thing. Anyway. Everybody's kind of is able to uh, see it through. They do end up uh, keeping the that gorilla like uh, like gorilla uh, rebel, so a, a southern dude um, slash demon. They're able to keep him alive so that they can give him a proper trial so that others can kind of believe it. And this is where it gets like really fucked up, like towards the end, because we finish with this trial. The dude just has no remorse, and then they're. It gets called out. It's like, well, a rope isn't really going to do much on him. That's pretty much like two months is like last two cents as he, as he literally leaves town. So it could be the ending, but he calls it out. as like, yo, a regular rope is not going to do anything on a person like him on something like him. So last page is like the town watching some people leaving. I've seen this demon being hung by an iron barbed wire. It's like, it's really fucked up. Um, so yeah, you get two months leaving. And then you get the, and then you get like the last page is like the the hanging. So it's kind of like, I guess that's an that's an ending. But I I just I don't know. I, I haven't seen much of like if this is the end or not. I just really like it because again, if you can make dope ass monsters, like I'm all up for it. So don't stop. Like because from the beginning there was just some great designs, and this book is just really fucking cool for the horror show. Let's move on to Department of Truth 10. Department of Truth number 10. <laughs> Writer, James Tynan IV. Artist, Martin Simmons. Lettering by Aditya Bedekar. This issue is about Bigfoot. Or about Bigfoots. Or at least about a Bigfoot. Big feet. Big feet. Bigfoot tie <laughs> is plural. So, um, Yeah. We kind of get a uh, story A and a story B. I'll keep it mostly on the story A so I can come back later. Um, but yes, Hawk, um, like the the old guy who pretty much like keeps all the all the conspiracies all hush hush, had, had pretty much like summoned Cole in the middle of the night. Pretty much like taking a red eye from like the East Coast to come to the PNW somewhere. Uh, they, it's literally somewhere in Oregon, which is like really cool. Uh, it's just it's just a perfect setting. So we get some truth. I guess big big feet, big uh, bigfoot uh, is alive, or at least like they do exist. We get another character introduced that works for the department, and her name is uh, Darla. Only she's a a ranger. She's the daughter of the first ranger of the department. So yeah, you have the agents that go around and do the case to case cases. <laughs> And then there's the other stuff. There's the class- there's the classification stuff, and you find out that Darla had just come back from dealing with an angel, and Cole is like, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to put some uh, a few Sunday schools uh, behind me to to believe that one." And it's like, "All right, cool, whatever," but it's true. And apparently, there's three classifications. 
there are three there are three kinds of wild fiction classifications. Class one are the hauntings, ghosts, poltergeists, and demons and intangibles. Class two is close encounters, you know, aliens and UFOs, and that sort of thing that usually that the actual um we actually group angels here too. And then finally, class three, you finally got what my dad called the critters, mostly because he didn't he didn't want to use the word monsters. And I thought that was actually a really, really nice touch. And yeah, you get the whole uh, the you get a whole uh, thing on like how even like jackalopes started being a thing, and it is through the whole process of belief. And it's like some idiots decided to put some fake antlers on a jackrabbit, and then people started believing it, and thus people started seeing it. Um, and now they're here to deal with one of them being a Bigfoot. Now the whole story B, you had these long passages throughout the book. It happened like three, three times, three, four times. These mm-hmm. long passages. Journal the entries, th- it looks like. Yeah. These whole um, these whole things was about story B, and that was about this other guy, and they usually bring in like this like like basically a real case to, to kind of like follow like the regular person around. And yeah, you follow this this person who had a dad who was a big a big footed a big Bigfoot enthusiast. And it pretty much like drove their family apart. And it was only this and it was the person who's who's writing this is he had two other siblings. He was the oldest of two of two other siblings. And I guess at one point in his childhood, um his dad was gonna take him to a quote unquote hunting trip. And the mom got really pissed and was like, no, you can only if you're not gonna take all of them, you can only take the the, old, the eldest one. So you can just get out of his mind. And in this trip it was weird. As soon as they get there, it was just like the dad freaks out because with his son as a witness, they find a Bigfoot footprint. And it's like, holy shit, you know what? Let's go home. Let's, let's do this shit right and plan this right so we can come back and look for him better. And then, yeah, and then that weekend, they pretty much like go deep, deep, deep into the woods to where they start. He is super fucking tired and he starts having this weird, not a, like, it's not a, like, he doesn't hallucinate, but it's just like he starts to getting like these weird smells. Like everything doesn't feel right. His vision kind of gets kind of distorted. It's just not a good, a right setting. So, and that's pretty much like the only thing that he kind of held on to for like a long time. And like I said, it drove their family apart to where and then he kind of doubled down on believing it. And now with him and his own family, he kind of became his dad and it drove his family away. And now he's on this like this one last like fine like if this doesn't work out then he can probably put like, he can finally maybe put it behind him only he kind of says that it's also like the only thing he can really hold on to which is kind of sad and then this is where the two stories cross he hears the three fucking idiots conversing and talking and explaining everything about bigfoot so now he's just right behind them believing and knowing that everything that he's thought to be not real is actually fucking real and Oh man, I, I really, I'm, I really feel for this guy. I, I, I don't, I don't see this guy coming through, especially because he's just like he's just so old in these woods, and he's like he just should, should, should not be there. And the, and the whole thing too is because like the way the critters work, or the way they, they are, is like I guess like they kind of are in a way like aliens, like the way they're, the way because like they're thought they're thought of manifested from belief. That's why like the kid kind of felt felt weird or distorted because like once you're around it, that's why the the Bigfoot's pictures are always blurry because like they're not fully manifested to be physical they're just like almost like a blurred representation of like a, of a belief and god i just i just love how deep it gets and yeah so that's just like the start of like the bigfoot story cool 
<laughs> All right. And then you had what looked to be a one shot, Cain and Abel? Yes. And just so you see, so mm-hmm. it's like a giant thing. It's Oh, it's one of the big ones. Okay. It's one of the big big things. Uh, <laughs> some, you'll probably need a magazine bag for that, by the way. Even bigger? It, it's definitely bigger than a magazine. Really? It yeah. Uh, I, like the magazines like tend to cut off a little more squared like and this is just like huge. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so this is uh, Shaky Kane and Krent Abel, Kane and Abel's. This is just like an anthology with story of some like a bunch of weird tales. It had me cracking up at there's these like section of like le- fake letters, like a letter section, but they're all once you start reading it, once you get to this point, you can just tell that they're just like up their own ass on like all the, all this shit. So in the first one, you get supposed to be shield bug is this guy is that really i wish i knew more about their context because like i don't know if he's a hero or not he literally just like roams around and the story just literally cuts to 70 years ago or 19, 1957 and it's this guy who sees an alien and aliens come down and it's like did you write it all down just like we told you yeah just like you told me and what they say they didn't believe me and it's like this little rocket pen. And you come back to the shield bug and it's just like, he's basically his room. Like he goes back to his apartment and is being ransacked by one of his friends. Who's another like hero, like person. It doesn't matter. We come back to the old guy, back to his time in the war. And that's where he, that's where he found that pen. Like at some point during the war on the ground. And then you turn the page and this is where they start getting up their own ass. And it's Jack Kirby. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, okay, you don't know. It's like it's, it's like oh, he basically runs out of a pencil and he rummages through his old war uh, war suitcase and he finds that old rocket pen, and then yeah, and then you get that one of those famous shots, <laughs> and then fucking stand down here at the bottom is <laughs> you basically get a phone call and it's like Jack, just a quick one. Who's the knot on the surfboard supposed to be? The silver what? Ah, what the heck? We'll print it. And it's like, what does this mean? You come back to the feature at at a grumpy old Jack at a convention and it just kind of ends. You get this ad page of just a bunch of wacky ass shit. Um, and then you get to a different story. You get to a story called Black Fur and you get the monster introduction and it's just cockroach being and like, and they have a boom box and as soon as they, they turn it on, they, as soon as they turn it on, people who are close enough to hear it just literally start melting away and forming this giant flesh wave all connected. It's, it's starts becoming really gross in comics. Um, and this is where our hero comes in black fur. Could you guess what black fur is? <laughs> uh, no, it is a black bear on a jetpack. With two homunculi twins with chainsaws on his shoulders. Meanwhile, the jetpack also has two arms with power drills. It is fucking ridiculous, dude. <laughs> he basically saves the day. It beca- it's this book makes no sense, but it's so fucking hilarious. Like the hilarity of it all is just it's just insane. There's another story coming back to the shield bug and the kind of that same Jack Her- Kirby house about this dude named Frank for a second. I thought they were gonna run with them, be like a Frank Miller thing, but they never really like actually solidify that. It just becomes a whole different thing on like the house itself. Like the the house has like the sub basement level, and like every night the dude is just like, well, that wasn't there before. And he checks on the second night, and it's like because he didn't he didn't open it the first night. It's like a weird hatch. 
and he opens it and there's like a second identical hat and it's like oh shit and it just gets like a little deeper and he and in the end he kind of like goes through a series of tunnels and he finds a world he peeks into a world where it's basically one of those like made up jack kirby like 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 uh like savage cave woman uh, type of uh, type of comics, and he just like peeks through it, and like the woman like looks over, and it freaks him the fuck out, and he just like ignores it, and just like leaves. It's just so weird. And then we cut to like the letters, and God, I wish you could just like read this shit. It's just, it's just so funny. There's like callouts, and just it's awesome. And then we get like one last story with like the see, like the when you see on the cover, this is actually like the the roach villain from like that story with black fur, the main other story, it's mm-hmm. actually like this guy, mm-hmm. this like skeleton dude. And he's kind of like what would be like a Deadpool persona, if you will. Um, and he, he has a sidekick and it's just like, God, it's just, the dialogue is just hilarious. There's a part, there's a part where like his partner died. He took like a sniper bullet to the head. So like a part where like half the top half of his head is missing. Mm-hmm. I tried to save him. Did what the dogs say. Applied pressure to the wound and just has a it's like a hand just covering like at the top of it. It's so stupid, but I'm glad I read it because like this dude, uh, this um the yeah the skeleton dude that I showed you, he has a grudge on the mouse people or like the mouse clan, and who they are are these jokers. <laughs> I wish I could say it out loud. It's it's definitely worth the buy. It's like thirteen bucks. Oh. <laughs> it's beyond stupid comics, but it's so worth the have. And I only wish that there was more of it because I could use for a, a lot more dumb, dumb comics like this. And for like a big thing, like I said, it's only 13 bucks. I was expecting like a $20 price range just because of like the size and just like the effort for something like this to come out from image. Um, I expect it to be a little pricier. So yeah, definitely worth the find. It's called Kane and Abel came with the K, but yeah, it's, it's just bonkers. Nice. All right, our last image book is going to be Crossover 7. Oh, I actually got this one, so I can talk about it. Uh, <laughs> written by Chip Zdarsky, penciled by Phil Hester, inked by Andy Parks, colored by Deke Tunniff, and lettered by John J. Hill. Okay, so the first arc of... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I laughed out loud more at this book than I have in a comic in a long time. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> so um, the first arc is over, and we're going into a new arc. And as you guys know... This book is normally done by Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw. However, again, Zdarsky and Co. have stepped in. Why? Well, I'm going to go through this quick. Uh, the main character, his name is, well, his name is Steve Murray, but he's going by Dave Murray. <laughs> but we know him better as Chip Zdarsky. Yes, yes. He made his own self into this comic book because one of the bits they hinted at is because of the what happened with all these comic book characters coming to life, people are taking it out on comic book creators. And they said after what pr- happened to Brian K. Vaughn, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and then so Chip slash Steve is spending this entire time worried that one of his own creations is going to kill him. And he mentions a special, a specific issue of Sex Criminals, which I know this way loved. Dude, uh, man, as soon as it was dropped, my nerd brain literally went back and I was like, wait, because based on the premise, like, oh, it could be one of his own creations. I could hate him based on, like, the fucked up tragedy that they made him have to go through. And then he specifically called out Sex Criminals 14. And I'm like, well, nothing really happened on that book except for, oh, no. 
<laughs> yeah. So he keeps thinking about it, and he comes face to face with his creation, which is Chip Zarsky. <laughs> yes, and then confirmed it was exactly who I thought it was going to be because nothing happens in the book. It's not anybody from Sex Criminals. The whole issue is actually really fucking great. It's a great issue because it really culminates down to between Susie and this other character who's who was a sex worker, and it ends up being her boyfriend's favorite porn star, but now she's like a professor. Anyway, it culminates to a giant, giant heated discussion, argument, a fight. But it comes down to there's you don't know what was said because Matt takes it upon himself to go meta with it. How I was explaining this book. He goes, mm-hmm. takes it upon, goes meta with it and calls Chip and says like, yo, I don't know how to do this book. And, and the whole time is super fucking funny because Matt is just being really like genuine being like, I don't know how to do this. If I do, if I write it this one way, it'll any, it'll probably get praised from some way, but it'll be able to alienate other people, other women's uh, elsewhere because I'm not voicing them correctly or some points aren't going to get across. Nobody's going to win here. And the whole time is super funny because Chip is just like helping him by not helping him by being this fucking character. And then you get to the end and it's like, like Matt is just freaking out. And it's like, just like, all right, thank, thanks Chip for helping out. And the whole time it does a call back that Chip and Matt are giving each other the user agreement, which is hence this super pompous chip that we get. That's, oh my God. Okay, let's, let's come back to cr- uh, crossover. <laughs> yeah. So um, basically he's been, he's, he finds himself, he finds Chip, which is his, arrogant online persona basically (laughs) and uh it gets really meta guys and in the end uh fake chip sacrifices himself to save steve and um is killed by somebody we don't see who it's off screen and then steve is talking to somebody off screen and he's basically like i need your help he's like i need you to get this guy and we get the reveal do you know you know who these characters are, right? I believe so. Yeah, it's um, it's Dina and Christian from Powers. It is Powers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which I love Powers, by the way. Um, which is a series from Image, but was written by Brian Bendis. Michael Bendis. Yes. Um. So, that's interesting. Also, uh, Powers the rights to Powers went to Marvel and then DC for a while, but now mm. it's back open again. So. Maybe this is a hint that we might get another Powers storyline. I'd be okay with that, for the record. <laughs> well, I'm wondering because, like, I I think this is more of like a one shot. If you go like go over to like the, like two pages, it says issue eight comes back to Kate and Shaw. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like I, I'm wondering if this is a tease that the rights are with Image now. Oh, and that, as far as for that, I call it too. But I'm wondering where this chip story is going to go too. And I'm I'm curious also below the crossover announcements. Like, meanwhile, chapter one coming next month. Like, what chapter one? Like, chapter one to what? Exactly. Because before this page is the announcement to the volume one trade, so you can't get... It's not It's not doing that back-to-back, so it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So <laughs> but fantastic issue. I, could not, I did not expect it was going to go meta as fuck like this, but I thoroughly enjoyed this book. This issue meant a lot to me. Just, like, to call out that Sex Criminals book and just make that character be the character... It was perfect. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on. And Jose, you have two books from SourcePoint Press to talk about. Yes. Uh, really quickly. Uh, Start with uh, this... 25th 3, by the way. Yes. <laughs> 25th, number 3. 3 of 3. Uh, this one's by art by Cap Bauman. Colors by Gab Contreras. Lettering by DC Hopkins. Written by Frankie White. 
So for the ending, it actually went by really quick and really resolved itself. Um, it really, it still, it still did not answer why these two gangs just end up just like fighting each other for no reason when they don't really claim like turf like gangs. Um, but anyway, you do get to find uh, we jump into like at least like two days before the big fight that just happened, and Billy from the rival gang was is meeting up with Cal from like the main crew and the whole time they're having like a just like a brunch situation so they want to go somewhere somewhere private and they go to the park and it's kind of a funny moment where like there's like oh i just want what they have and it's like a lesbian couple are just like getting up on a deal and just like push them off of a go pier into like the pond and just like high five at each other <laughs> but anyway back to what was what they actually want to talk about and billy shows up with a jacket to join like their jacket crew and it pretty much becomes like a like a weird dialogue of like control in their relationship that isn't really like a thing yet and it just it just blows up and it's like bro you don't fucking get it like you know what we're fucking through um and then cut to the big fight that happened last issue and and coming forward and them two coming into like their real real fight only billy <laughs> doesn't fight fair she brings out a fucking knife to a, to a fist fight and just, but at the very least, Kel is actually like knows how to fight and just like ends up kicking her ass. And the fucked up part is that they just like end up like in front of like a church. And it's like the, like the beginning of like the morning now. And so it's, it's church time. Like the bells start ringing and it's like, everybody's like, everybody's like judging them or just judging her. Cause the other one's knocked out. And then a dude, the dude that's from part of Billy Cruz, Billy's cruise walks up to like the church and is like, says some, like some snide comment to uh, to Cal and just like and just like cracks her knuckles and just like goes into the church and just beats some ass and yeah that's pretty much like the end it, it was just a bunch of teenagers fighting each other for almost little to no reason and it was pretty queer so get a good way to kind of end a pride month with this book nice and then the other one is Cult of Dracula 4 Cult of Dracula number 4 Writer Rich Davis, artist by Puis Calzada, colors by Trevor Richardson, and lettering by Dave Lentz. We get our answer, baby, on who super sexy goddess Dracula is. And it's they're, they're running it with Lilith. They're going with the biblical biblical Lilith. Uh, got cur- is, they're going with the angels cursed her to go say sorry to Adam for basically stealing Eve. <laughs> There's a one I stand between Lilith and Eve, and they just came down, and of course, Eve would be like, oh, no, shit, I'm sorry, I'll go back. And Lilith was just like, fuck no. And he's like, all right, then we're going to curse you Go to go apologize to Adam, and then I'll be lifted. And she's like, fuck no. All right, cool. Then in this case, you'll be cursed to only be, basically, it's like all, all the vampire curses. And then the last one being um, the blood of your own children or your own sustenance. And yeah, basically means... Um, I guess Eve was preggers. And at least like she looks at herself and is like, oh shit, what happened there? It's like it, it all works in their in their own trio way. But then that night, a fetus gets like dropped in front of her in front of uh, Lilith's cave and just kinda like she's basically Lucifer shows up and just like, yo, if you join me and everything would be fucking cool. And even Lilith's like, no, dude, fuck you too. Like I am gonna I'm running my own shit. And thus succumbs to biting into the fetus and then thus becoming the vampire. And then you get this really cool double spread page of all of the vampires throughout the ages. 
it's just like a bunch of classic ones. There's yeah. like a really cool like the um the like a female version of the Count. Yeah. And then like the like a Japanese take on like the Oriental like vampire like the crazy smile and like a Medusa one. And then dude, check this out. Fucking this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gary Oldman's old man in her in her form. And I was just like, all right, this is fucking dope. Her just like going through the times of being the vampire, being the Dracula in this case. Um, so we get basically that, get that backstory, come back to the present, and it's yeah. <laughs> I, I just I love how much there's there's so much focus on Lucy in this book. Um, because yeah, we come back to the what was the crazy guy that, that never gets turned? Um, I forget his name, but basically he's he, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. He basically just like starts wants to clap back at the at the vampires, being like, "Really, like I do all this for you, and you give me nothing." And it's like, and they basically just like slap him, slap him down. Um, come back to Jonathan Harker and with Lucy, and she's already she's already pretty much like turned, and and she just like doesn't know how to control it. She, she they basically find her in the or, in the orphanage, like, and she's like, "I don't know what happened." <laughs> He's like, "You're crazy, dude." Um, so yeah, they're just trying to like in the end, they end up um, killing her. And or almost killing her when they get when they get away the um, the bride show up and then they actually finally feed Lucy um, vampire blood and that's where it cuts off. But the main thing is that we get the backstory on who this actual this actual Dracula is. So I guess they're gonna go for a more bibli- biblical approach, which honestly I don't mind. I love when they just fuck with uh, Catholicism and shit, and shit like that. So that's cool. Nice. All right. Let's move on, and we'll we'll talk about our last indie, which is Vault. Yes, um, we have a stack of Vault, and we have we each have all of them. So uh, we'll start with the end, <sighs> the Atomal Number Eight. I got oh, this such one. a great variant. Yeah. Okay, let's get the creative two out of the way. <laughs> Written by Daniel Krauss, drawn by Chris Sheehan, colored by Jason Wordy, and lettered by Jim Campbell. I'm not going to spoil the ending. <laughs> I will say it was not a happy ending. <laughs> no. And I, I genuinely got like, as I was going through my stack of comics, this was the first time I genuinely got upset uh, like this week, which was, it was not the last time for the record. <laughs> um, so I was like, this is fucked up. What the fuck? And I was just getting really annoyed and angry and but it was really well done i'm not trying to say they did a bad job they did a fantastic job the fact that i'm that emotionally committed says a lot mm-hmm. so god like what the fuck man so um it was an excellent end the art stayed perfect throughout the oh, dialogue yeah. it was absolutely great uh cat is I said it around issue three. It was one of my favorite protagonists in comics. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just yeah. There's not a lot we can say without spoiling it. Pick it up. Pick it up for yourself. It's absolutely wonderful. What do you think, Gosway? I mean, yeah, without spoiling it, like the only like close enough to a spoiler that I can just like touch on is just like the conversation with BD. Like the yeah. meeting up with BD was just like, what the fuck? That that oh, whole middle middle middle. Um, the whole double page spread, like the oh yeah, seeing it was just like oh man, the haunting of this forest and the the bushes, like like you get you get some like, a little bit more answers yeah. to like the lingering questions. 
but yeah, it all kind of gets like, I don't want to say resolved because it's, it is a very fucked up, but at least a lot of stuff get answered. And yeah, no, honestly, it's so fucking worth it. I love, I love, I cannot wait to get this as a trade because for eight issues as mm-hmm. a single trade, it's going to be like a good, nice chunky one. Yeah. And one I'm going to want a lot of people to, a lot of horror fans to read too. Yeah, totally. It's really great. Definitely one we want to pass on to T Dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, next up, let's talk about Barbaric number one nice. from Vault. Okay. So, we'll run through the creative team as always, written by Michael Marici. Uh, artist is Nathan Gooden, colorist is Addison Duke, and letter by Jim Campbell. So, I had the lowest expectations. Really? This book. Oh my god! Because I, I was, I, I was like, you know what? It's you know, it's a barbarian story. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be a barbarian story, maybe sure. with a cool vault twist. But this book exceeded my expectations in ways I cannot explain. <laughs> Good, because honestly, uh, ever since I got the advanced copy, like all those months ago, I've been waiting to hold this book in my hands. But I've been waiting for you to read this, read this too, because the fucking axe dude tell me it's not just a, such a winning character oh yeah oh that's that's 100 percent a good move uh <laughs> so basically it's a story about a barbarian and he has a talking axe that only talks to him no one else will, will most people can't hear it and he is cursed to basically help anyone who needs help and can punish the wicked basically and it's cool it's really a lot of really cool action and like it's done in a really cool I don't know, it's just a really really well done way that someone who really likes fantasy comics like it appealed to me mm-hmm. um, I'm not a big gore person but it's still great so and it's a really good origin it tells exactly wh- where he's coming from what happened you know where you know where he is now and everything so um, there's a great little montage where he's talking about his life used to be simple I drank I fucked I fought I fucked I fought I drank and then <laughs> yeah. I, you know what panel I'm going to talk about yeah. That one. Oh hell yeah. It's just incredible. So um he gets cursed by some hags and now he has to help people. And yeah, that's pretty much it. At the end, he meets up with uh, a woman who's about to be burned as a witch, and she's hot, and I'm already in for that. And he saves her, and in the end they're gonna have to team up. And um yeah, it looks really cool. I really enjoyed this. The art is spectacular. And I just I dug it so much. I got this cover. Oh, so. that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's literally the only one left. My store had left. So oh no shit. Would you? Th- I actually had to get my barbaric uh, till my third store. I had to visit because the first two didn't have them. I also got their yeah. late, so it could have been that too. Yeah, I, I'm gonna need to reserve that one for the future. So totally. really, really greatly enjoyed it. So no dude, it was awesome i i, I just I love the design of the axe like it's like a giant metal like face or like metal like music and I like the way it talks i love, I love the the bloodlust like he's cursed to do good but it's just like he's literally enabled him to do all the bad stuff and I, and I love when he swings it there's some people that literally get chopped in a clean cut from an axe and there's other times where like the axe literally wants to take his time and it's almost like it's biting into people and he just gets like <laughs> this is like this is rule that's so fucking good and he just actually gets drunk off of it but yeah, the, the axe, the axe looks like something that would be on a metal cover. Metal yeah. Cover. Yeah. Like it's that cool. Like almost like an Iron Maiden cover or something. Totally. totally. <laughs> and then the, the last, the last little touch I actually really fucking liked was the witch. I like that. She has her arsenal tattooed. 
Mm-hmm. I like that she like she it's, it's like a like, like cool like pi- like you was you call it like almost like a pirate but it's like but the way that the, the tattoos are formed it's like a sword coming down her forearm but then she's literally unsheathing him as she's like untattooing them to be physical and then on her down her rib cage she's like a bunch of little like like throwing daggers and it's just like that's that's actually a really fucking cool idea yeah that's pretty cool yeah hella fucking love barbaric. Yeah, I was very happy with it. So cool. Next up, Witch Blood number four. I got the tarot cover again. Ah, nice. Uh, and creative team: Matthew Ehrman, Lisa Searle, Gab Contreras, and and World. Um, so it's issue four, and uh, <laughs> basically everything from the last issue comes comes to a head. So you got you got the you got the shed witch, and you got our main character. You got. Mm two bounty hunters showing up and you got the vampires uh, show up at the same time. So it's just one big fight, basically. Um, there's, this one also comes with a song, yes. which is this magic moment, which is a great song. The Lou Reed um, cover. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's just really cool. We get a cool, fun action scene, a little bit of negotiation as to who's going to work with who. And in the end, we have a little bit more of an idea of where this is all coming from, a little bit more background developed, mm-hmm. especially for the vampires. And where they came from, what's their issue with the witches, things like that. And we have a little bit of an alliance at the end, which is kind of cool, too. So um, I really dug it. It's a fourth issue, which we always say, you know, that's the era where it's not too much going on. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was a solid fourth. What do you think? Oh, totally. Especially, like, when, when she drinks this magic moment and, like, her manifestation was like, fuck, yeah, this, this kind of power boost is what I've been waiting for. <clears throat> and then, yeah, just like almost, like, elevating the story and, like, or opening up the story that much bigger with, like, the vampireism hierarchy, if you will. <laughs> um, and then also just like the song choice. I actually like that they went with a song specifically from a soundtrack already to just add to, to, to this, uh, this vibe. Actually, I, I like, I like how kind of ballsy that was to just like use that one. And then like the, the nice nod, I, like this one really reminded me of, uh, Afterworlds, my LARP with, um, the, the cowboy lady when she's like, mm-hmm. fine. But I get I, I get all the bounties, and the other one's like, "Wait, what?" And that's <laughs> afterwards. If you're not quick enough to call your bounties or to call your fucking price, someone else will. <laughs> Just like that, quick. Dibs is law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Next up is Vampire the Masquerade number nine, uh, written by Tim Seeley with the backup story written by Teeny and Blake Howard, drawn by Stephen Molnar with Nathan Gooden doing the backup. And all of it's covered by Addison Duke and lettered by Ant World. Oh my gosh. So the prince's court is under attack by these hunters. <laughs> and he's trying to get them out of the way. Uh, Calder's like just trying to get them all the way. And they're still getting attacked. And we get to see like some blood alchemy where he like. Oh yeah. The like, wall. Locks, or, like makes a wall of blood to seal the door and stuff. So cool. I love it. Um, and meanwhile, Cecily is like trying to get there to help basically the entire time. So mm-hmm. um, lots of fun, really cool action. We lose several characters. Um, oh, yeah. I loved the death of the, um, of the, the ghoul, the girl uh, that he uses as a, sh- a bullet shield. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you search your masters. Well, little ghoul, this is after all my favorite jacket. Like it's just so <laughs> cruel. Love it. And just, yeah, it was just really dope. And then we get a really cool, a bit with because we the whole thing has been Cecily versus Allie, you know, mm-hmm. and in the end, what is Allie doing? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of I don't she, know. What she is a vampire there. now. 
Yes. So technically, they'd be hunting her too if they know. So oh, you're right. You know, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But interesting. But they started killing all the or knocking all the military dudes out too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so what's she, what's what's her? Yeah, I don't, yeah. The, what's her deal? So power, I like Allie, but like, so I hope she, that. <laughs> yeah, I hope that something happens there because I like Allie. So, mm-hmm. um, and then we get the Anarch tail on the back, which was a really cool one because it's happening pretty much side by side with this. Yeah, where two vampires are trying to run away, one of them gets killed pretty much immediately, and our favorite little Nosferatu saves her, <laughs> and I, that was just really absolutely great. So, really digging this, especially since I've been. Uh, reading the rule books again, making and I made my character. Mm. It's just I've gone back to look at the books and looked at the other character sheets and been like, oh, I see. Okay, so this is this makes sense and all that stuff. So nice, get me pretty hyped to play again. I'll say that, but <laughs> um, but no, I love it. I love this book, and I'm really happy we're getting. I don't know if you saw this. The they announced a a big crossover for Vampire <laughs> the Masquerade coming up from Vault. So. Excited for that. Two Honestly, books I'm so fucking excited for that too. <laughs> that that crossover yeah. book. Or at least like of all books, or at least like their their I their one IP book and then they're actually kind of making it an event thing. Yeah. Love definitely. it. All right. And our last we always save this vault book for last. <laughs> Money Shot number twelve. Written by Tim and or Tim Seeley and Sarabini. Drawn by Carolyn Lee Lane, colored by Kurt Michael Russell, and lettered by Crank. Um, I love this book. I still love it. Every review is the same. (laughs) We love it. Yeah. Um, it's just really great. I I really think Caroline's doing a great job stepping in as the artist. Oh yeah. Uh, She's adapted so well and I still absolutely love the characters and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's still, it's still continuing the story. This one was more of a setup for what's going to be happening, you know, coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, the one thing that we um, we do know, like, basically, it's the first time we see the group kind of split up. Yeah, like, kind of doing their own uh, thing on separate missions. Yeah, and we get to, we get to check in with Bree, which was cool because uh, I know briefly we were kind of worried she was gone for good, but then we saw she was on the covers upcoming. So yeah, um, get to check in with her and the the porn company she works for now. Um, I think Trinity Spheres gets a lot of. Uh, highlight in this one which is great because she is my favorite character and annie oh hell of, yeah dude yeah she doesn't get a lot of her own like moments so yeah it was cool i really really enjoyed it um but yeah i, I don't want to get too much into the spoilers plus we'd have to break down every single character and what's going on but uh i do like that they're getting individual adventures now and uh definitely we're gonna see we're gonna see the two of them uh, Supermassive Black Hole and Trinity Spheres, because I only call them by their porn names. Um, <laughs> uh, we get to see them on their own thing, own doing something cool. So, yeah, I liked it a lot, quite a bit. So, and of course, I did get the Not Safe for Work cover. Oh my god, yes, I was so excited for it. Excellent. As soon as that on Twitter is like, I need that one for sure. Yeah, it's absolutely good. Oh, the the edited version. Yeah, yeah, I saw that post too. I was like, yep, I need that. So. Excellent. I'm always up for more money shot whenever it's available. So, dude, yeah. If, if anything for this issue, yeah, Cancer Sync makes her return, if just for like a little bit. And God, that centaur goddess just has my heart. She's too so fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also just because now it's actually canon through an issue here, it's a callback now. I actually have to go and find the Playboy issue that had the money shot thing. I know I can find the the story online. But now it's a callback in an issue. 
I actually need that issue to be. Was it of. actually printed in Playboy's physical? Oh, was it just online? Then? It was a digital only. Oh, okay then. Fuck yeah. It's going to be in the trade though. Oh, nice. Uh, okay then. The next, it's in the second trade. I know that much. So nice. I, re- I read that somewhere. Yeah. So nice. All right. Well, then we're moving on. We're going to start on the big two, starting with DC. Light DC week for us. Um, yeah. I'm going to start off with two books I have that Hostway does not. And they are big ones. And I'm not joking when I say big. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, because they're supersized, 10 bucks a piece. <laughs> so we'll start with the Infinite Frontier Secret Files. Mm-hmm. This is literally a bunch of... Okay, so it's Director Bones from Checkmate. And it's literally... It's kind of like, okay... Do you remember in like the whenever they did Marvel crossovers for a while, where there'd always be an issue where it's one person, usually like the main bad guy or super spy of some sort, and they're just sitting around talking about everybody, mm-hmm. and it just basically introduces you to all the major characters that matter. Yeah, I always remember the Age of Apocalypse one. It was called The Chosen, and it was literally like Apocalypse's files on everybody, and someone was reading them. It was really cool. Anyways, that's basically what this is. Okay. Doctor Bones is listening to tapes about character characters that are going to matter coming up in Infinite Frontier. Um, so massive amounts of creative team. The first one's about, uh, president Superman, uh, which is from earth 23. I want to say, uh, with Brandon Thomas and Joshua Williamson art by Valentin Delandro, uh, color by Marissa Luis and Triona Farrell and lettering by Tom Napolitano. It it was pretty good. It's basically, it's the Superman story, but he's also the president. So he's having to go around and defend the world and, also pop back for meetings with ambassadors and stuff which is it's kind of fun I, I really dug it so not a big superman fan in general but you know it was cool there's also a bit where um they talk about how as much as he possibly can which is like at most a few minutes a day he goes into this interdimensional interdimensional space called the margin and you can see here it's just darkness and he's just there and he has no he's like naked there's nothing like interacting with him and it's basically helps reset his mind because there's so much going on that he has to slow down every once in a while so that was pretty cool i really enjoyed it so but the next story is written by stephanie Phillips. okay so just the creative team okay written by stephanie phillips and joshua williamson art is by naki miranda color by nick falardo and lettering by tom napolitano already i want to read it because i love both stephanie and joshua right yeah it's about roy harper Oh, shit. <laughs> so I definitely want to read it. And it's basically a really cool like flashback story of Roy learning basically like, like he's trying to stop Slade, misses, and Slade gets away when, he, when he's still speedy. And um, Green Arrow's just like, you know, it's not your fault. We both missed. You know, like I didn't hit him either. You know, it's just like, yeah. and so it's just him, lear- him learning a lesson. Then it cuts to like the present where he's just getting his ass handed to him by some guy. And he just takes the beating, basically. And this girl at the bar decides to try to save him. The guy turns on her, and that's when Roy fights back and kicks his ass. Mm. And uh, it's really cool. And she's like, I want to say thank you. He's like, hey, you saved me. And he's like, you remind me of someone. And I th- I'm, I'm looking at her, and yeah, she reminds me of Shadow a little bit. So... <laughs> um, she says i hope that's a good thing is like it is she cared about me when no one or she had no reason to so so definitely roy's gonna play into infinite frontier right but not in the way i thought last week by the way now it's kind of like uh, i mean you could have just used it anybody 
But now it's like with our running theory of Red X, uh, Slade of all people. I don't think it's Red X. You don't think he's Red X anymore? We'll talk about that in a minute. So, um, Then we have a Jade and Obsidian story, which I fucking loved because I love Jade and Obsidian so much. Uh, They are the children of Alan Scott, Green Lantern. This is written by Dan Waters and Joshua Williamson. Nice. Yeah. Uh, art by art and color by Stephen Byrne and lettering by Tom Napolitano. And basically it's about Jade is afraid of her power. Her power is kind of the same as her father's, except she doesn't have a Green Lantern. It actually comes from inside of her. Oh, sick. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I really like it. And um, so she uh, basically and then Obsidian, his power is darkness. So it's always been really cool. It's like it's almost like if Cloak and Dagger were brother and sister. Like, you know, they always kind of like had this thing. And they they fight this enemy, which is which is a lot of fun, named Chroma. And Chroma is basically a god, and the, you can't stop them. And so, in the end, they basically distract them. <laughs> so, um, it was pretty well done. I really enjoyed it, and I absolutely loved it. One of my favorite runs of Justice League was immediately before the New Fifty Two when Jade was the Green Lantern on Justice League. Oh, okay, it was so cool. Like I loved that run; it was so great. Supergirl was the super on the team. Uh, okay, it was like the most diverse group ever, and it was so That's much cool. fun. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, next DC story: said, well, We can't have that. Let's reset the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, all white guys. Um, the next story is uh, the two totalities, written by Brandon Thomas, Joshua Williamson. Uh, art by Nikki Miranda, color by Nick Filardi and Tom Napolitano. Um, there's a thing called the totality, and it's it's a group of both oh. heroes and bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a weird eclectic mix. So it's like Martian Manhunter is the leader, Hawk Girl, and Mr. Terrific, but also um, Vandal Savage and Lex Luthor are on there too. And it, it's kind of cool, but it, it, it's basically two different versions of them fight. So if you're like getting introduced to these characters, the best way to do it isn't necessarily having two very similar characters fight, you know. <laughs> like, so, yeah. But it, but it was good. I'm, I enjoyed it because I'm a I'm a DC veteran. I I would be interested to see how other people took it. So, um, next story is written by Stephanie Phillips, Joshua Williamson, with uh, oh, nice. pencils by Phil Hester, inks by Andy Parks, letter by Nick Filardo, and lettering by Tom Napolitano. Um, this one is Captain Boomerang, who's kind of hulked out for some reason. Oh shit! Oh what? Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. But basically, um, Director Bones is basically trying to trick him into hulking back out to prove that it is happening, and it did, and he's trying to figure out what's up with that. So, And then the last story, I think it was the last one, is about Psycho Pirate. And uh, we saw Psycho Pirate at the end of Infinite Frontier. Um, he's the one that was on, on Earth Omega when, when Flash got there. And he's one of the most powerful people in... Um, in the DC universe. And it was just really kind of interesting. So uh, anyways, this one was written by Dan Waters and Joshua Williamson. Art by Christopher Mitten, color by Dave Stewart and Tom Napolitano. Um, Psycho Pirate's also one of the few people that remembers everything pre-crisis. Um, crisis didn't affect Psycho Pirate's memories. So um, basically, it, it was a really cool story where he... It's kind of like a deal with the devil kind of thing where someone shows up and... He's he offers to give them power. It, it's part of his power if they answer these questions correctly, and of course they fail in the last one as they always do, you know. So, but yeah, it's really cool. It's a good little backup thing. Nothing super required if you're not, you know. It's it, there's no nothing in this that changes what's going to happen later. Okay. So, next up, Green Arrow 80th anniversary. Ooh. So once again, I got the 
Mike Grell inspired cover. This really is my cool. favorite era of Green Arrow. Um, it was in the eighties, and he. Um, it was Green Arrow was one of the first comics DC published out of DC specifically that was rated M. Oh, it damn. was very violent. Yeah, and I really, really enjoyed it. And Mike Grell was the one who wrote it the entire time. And uh, when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, I hope they have some kind of homage to Mike Grell." And then this cover pops up. I'm like, "Cool, there it is." <laughs> Um, I actually met Mike Grell at a Comic Con nice. and got all my all my Green Arrow comic signs. It's a fun fact. So good experience this time. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Right, I, cool. I wasn't too intimidated by him because I was. It wasn't like a. I like him, but he's not one of those people. He's not my top five writers. You know, right, like right. I'm not panicking. So, <laughs> um, but there are a total of twelve stories in this one, so I'm not going to go through all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just to give you an idea of the writing talent, Mariko Tamaki, Tom Taylor, Stephanie Phillips. Mike Grell came back to do one. Huh. Uh, Ram V, Brandon Thomas, Devin Grayson, Phil Hester, Vida Ayala, mm-hmm. Benjamin Percy, Jeff Lemire, and Larry O'Neill. Yeah, I had yeah. seen these creative teams. Like, it just it did make it enticing, but like, oh my god, they're just so much. Yeah, it's a lot. This one I would recommend picking up because it gives you a really good idea. So the first story is very much Golden Age, Green Arrow, and it's very wacky and stuff. Mm. Um, the second one was really good, and that's the one that was written by Tom Taylor, and because it features Wildcat, which is an underused character, I think in DC. So, um, so Wildcat shows up. He basically teaches Green Arrow how to fight like hand to hand, basically, because Green Arrow is like, I'm I'm an archer, I don't need hand to hand. Sorry, and he beats his ass basically. So. <laughs> uh, the Stephanie Phillips one is called "Who Watches the Watchtower." It's just a cool, fun side story where they leave Green Arrow behind on the Watchtower when they go on a mission, and he gets attacked, and he has to defend the place by himself. Mm. Um, and then the Mike Grell one, which, fuck, I loved. It's the only <laughs> one I'm going to talk to talk about in depth, I think, um, which was drawn... Uh, Mike Grell wrote and drew this. Ah, oh, dope. And uh, the colors were Laverne Konzerski and letters by Travis Lanham. So just to give you an idea of his style, like... Ah, oh, really cool. Yeah, it's really sick stuff, and I really like how he draws. The, and the way Canary is a really big deal to him. Like the the book basically should have been called Green Arrow and Black Canary, uh-huh. and he's also the person who created the character of Shadow. And so she features pretty heavily in this story. And again, I just love the way he draws archery. Like he always did a really good job. Oh yeah, those so, are good poses. Yeah, so I loved this book. It was great. It's them working together and doing the right thing, you know. It was also when he lived in Seattle. He was like the guardian of Seattle. Mm -hmm. And he had a florist shop called Sherwood Florist. Yeah. He was also mayor of Seattle for a while in the story. Oh, goddamn. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it's a really good, dude, that run. If you can find it. Oh, it's so good. Um, Then we got The Arrow and the Song by Ram V. uh, One called One by Brandon Thomas. Uh, and again, it, there's a lot of them here. But the last one I want to talk about is the one written by Larry O'Neill, which might not be a name that's familiar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry O'Neill is the son of Denny O'Neill, who's the one who actually created Green Arrow. Oh, nice. Uh, he recently passed away. And um, so this story was written by his son in honor of his father. And it's literally the story of basically the life he led. And it's a lot of him, like, you know, it's him It's him reading comics as a kid and seeing Superman and him serving in the forces and him writing and things like that. And just a lot of his best moments, like, in in comics, you know, just, like, him sitting at a desk writing them. And it's just really interesting. And 
Um, and then it gets really sad. And I, this is the second time I got emotional because <laughs> he, it's him in a basically a retirement home with the nurse singing to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's thinking of like the first story that he read as a kid. And then he fades. Ooh. And then it's all the heroes and shit. I'm oh like, good God. God. <laughs> like, uh. Yeah. Yeah, that shit was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. I mean, honestly, especially if you're not a big fan of Green Arrow, this one does such a great job of going through all the eras of Green Arrow that you pretty much get an idea of the character as a whole. Yeah. It's really well done. And it does feature a lot of the side characters. Well, so you cool. see Roy, there's a Connor story. Um, Who did the Connor story? Just curious. Connor's story, let's see, it was, okay, that's Roy, um, I do love me some Connor, though, <laughs> um, blah, 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 is it this one, let me see, um, I'd have I I'm still looking, but and there's a lot, a lot of Black Canary, which you should expect with Green Arrow. Um, if you if you're the kind of person who's only seen the show Arrow, okay, you don't realize how like intimately they're tied. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, it's very much so. Uh, it's Brandon Thomas wrote it. Okay, cool. Yeah, with uh, with George Corona, uh, Matthias Lupus, or Lopes and Steve Wands, and it's it's kind of cool. It's done in like a modern action style. So, oh, that is cool. He does a yeah. cool. All right, last DC book, Teen Titans Academy Yearbook. I think I know what you mean by not Roy anymore. Yeah, I think they kind of told us that. So, <laughs> uh, so this once again is another kind of anthology book where we get a couple different little stories, not as big as the others. Um, yeah, but, it's a yearbook book, and I actually really like that. Yeah, yeah, there's actual bits of a yearbook which I thought was great, like just like the new X Men one we had, mm-hmm. like at the end. So the the, um, the yearbook staff, I really like that touch. Oh yeah, definitely. So the first story is about Stitch and about the dreams Stitch would have if Stitch could sleep, basically, mm. which was really sad. Yeah. And it basically developed the character of Stitch, which I thought was really cool. Oh, absolutely. And did a did an absolutely cool review where, or reveal where we found out that Dr. Fate is is basically the sponsor for Stitch. Yeah. And that's super dope. Like oh, Absolutely. That definitely makes like Stitch more important in my head immediately. Like so. not 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 necessarily like a legacy character, but if this is who Doctor Fate is taking on, that yeah. means Stitch is fucking important. <laughs> yeah, and maybe one day Stitch will be Doctor Fate. So. Oh man, could oh god, damn yes. So, um, and Stitch runs for class president. We find out they won because at the beginning there's a letter from the president, the class president, <laughs> which is Stitch. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, there's a lot of little yearbook stuff. Like, here's the, you know, the faculty. And once again, we get yet another Roy Harper trip. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But um, we get some more stories. We get, like, a Beast Boy Raven story. They're very brief. We get the most athletic, you know, most blah, 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 most likely to succeed. I would have liked to have there been more of these because there were only five. Yeah, me too. So, um, but yeah. And then we get a really cool story um, with uh, Tubi and uh, um, Matthew Price. Uh, yeah, thank you, Matthew Price. And we kind of like their friendship. And Matthew has nowhere to go, and it's kind of like he now has like a second home. It's cute. It's a cute story. I liked it. Um, I like, I like him reminding us, like I'm not a fucking Superboy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Then we get the we get another page of the actual yearbook, but someone yes. did the red X, mm-hmm. and um, they covered up who really likes Kid Flash, and I really want to know who that was. <laughs> so, also, uh, I love that Matt Price's pick was Wonder Girl because it's Cassie Wonder Girl who I like, not Donna Troy. Okay, That's, like imagine that. Imagine you're Donna Troy and you're the original Wonder Girl, and one of your kids says you really like the other Wonder Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a story at the end. About some foster parents and how they're abusing the children. And this is where we see Red X bust in. Stop the foster parents. One of the kids seems to be very damaged mentally. Mm-hmm. And so he basically, it looks like he essentially takes them under their, his wing. And then we get three months ago and we see somebody in shadow, presumably adult Red X, saying, so kid, you want the mask or not to a kid wearing a Teen Titans backpack. That's why I don't think it's Roy. Right. Like the older one might be Roy, but I I, I, just, I still doubt that. That doesn't fit. Right. The, the whole when, when is nine years ago, especially because like, what do you really call nine years ago after the new 52, after convergence, yeah. after rebirth? Like that, that doesn't really hold here. Uh, no, honestly, I fucking love this, this, this issue. I almost didn't get any DC books until I got to like the very bottom of the list. Like Teen Titans Academy yearbook. It's like, Oh, Hell yes, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, Strange Academy needs to do one, too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, the only other thing I was thinking of, and I'm just double-checking to make sure I don't talk on my ass when I'm saying this. Um, it might be uh, either Ravager, not Rose, Ooh. her brother, Grant. Okay. Or it might be Joe Wilson, which is Deathstroke's other kid. That was Jericho in the Teen Titans. Was the X Master Spot like his uh, their crush? Because I thought the X Master Spot was revealing who it could be based on the like the covering the person who it is. Like, oh, I don't think that's it. I think okay. they're just like graffitiing a yearbook, basically. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't think it was a hint. Because <laughs> if it was still okay. a student, it would be still be part of that group of kids. I think we're looking at their yearbook personally. Mm. Oh, okay. So yeah, so the people that signed their yearbook, we might be able to disqualify. But I also don't think we should read too much into it because it's a yearbook special. (laughs) All right, guys, moving on. We are going to start our Marvel stack. And man, what a week for Marvel. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Hosway doesn't have any solo books. (laughs) So I'm going to start off with mine. Okay. I'll go through the easy ones first. Dr. Afra number 11. Ooh, part of the event, right? Yes. Written by Alyssa Wong, penciled by Mink Yu Jung, letter by or inked by Victor Olazaba, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letter by Joe Carabagna. Um basically they're trying to hunt down this guy for the, the the lady they're working with. It's her cousin. And they find out that everybody on his ship is dead. And what happened is a bunch of these creepy ass parasite things. You can get a shot right here are there and they're eating everybody's brains out basically. Oh, shit. Okay. So it's very much like alien, you know, like mm-hmm. and they meet up with this droid dude who's a bounty hunter and stuff and they have to team up and it's just a lot of fun. It's them trying to get out of the way and in the end the droid gets all the they're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do, because these things are very susceptible to changes in pressure. So um we're gonna get all of them on the droid and we're gonna put him in the airlock. He's gonna shake them off and then we'll blast them into space. So uh, they, he he runs into the airlock, and then they just shut the door behind him and blast him into space. 
because they're bastards and I love it. So, um, Not bad. but yeah, basically, and then they get an invite to the, um, the auction for Han Solo, frozen Han Solo at the end. So that's going to tie them straight into the war of the bounty hunters. So good stuff. Loved it. Uh, again, star Wars fan. This is a really good time to pick up some star Wars books, which leads me to my next book, star Wars, the high Republic number six. Okay. Uh, written by Kavan Scott. Uh, artist is George Gianti, inked by Carl Story, colored by Annalisa Leone, and lettered by Jokara Magna. Um, this the central story is still going. It's really interesting. That I haven't felt a hard volume cut off yet. Okay. And being that this is a Marvel book, it's kind of weird. Basically, the Jedi are having to team up with the Huts right now to take out these uh, this alien, you know plant race that's trying to assimilate everything so um it's really interesting because a lot there's a lot of jedi being like i don't agree with their methods but we have to work together you know like and it's just it's just kind of fun that way and in the end um so skier is still possessed by the plant people and it looks terminal Mm. he's basically in a coma and he's in like a stasis field that's slowing down the infection and um Basically, uh, Trinis, his uh, former Padawan girl, yeah, um, is like, I'm not going to let him do this alone. So she steps forward and gets infected as well. Goes inside, and then they're basically in like, they're in their their force projections are inside the um, uh, the hive mind, basically, and they're trying to basically destroy it from within. So uh, they're doing that and everything, and then in the end. Um, Skier is like he won't let anything happen to her, and so he basically ejects the infection and is you know we're, we failed and he's like we basically they're trying to find the central core of this and they don't know where it is, and then you find out that she actually in, in their dream scratched the name of the sh- the planet into her arm, oh, so fuck. now they have a location, and it's not a known planet but it's like a legendary planet so they got to find it which is traditional Star Wars stuff. Yeah, I'm digging it. And I really think I really think I'm going to read that Star Wars book next as my as my fun read. So oh, the novel finally, cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to start there. So yeah, so yeah, good stuff. Um, two Star Wars books this week. So next up, another solo book for me, and I'm just grabbing all my solos. So if there's a Marvel uh, pattern this week, it's the color black. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start with Black Widow. Ooh. Black Widow number eight, written by the incredibly talented and amazing Kelly Thompson, uh, drawn by or penciled by Elena Casagrande and Rafael de la Torre, inked by Elisabetta D'Amico and Rafael de la Torre, colored by Jordi Belair and lettered by Corey Petit. So we have this thing with uh, Natasha and Yelena Belova living together in San Francisco, uh, doing their thing. They recruited a young girl that basically was taken by the bad guys. They're kind of building their own little superhero team maybe is the best way to put it and the next person to join is Anya Corazon also known as Arania uh, so she shows up and she kind of goes undercover for them and stuff and they're all teaming up and doing things uh, once again this book just continues to be one of the best action like drawn books in comics and it's just so good like I really absolutely love it it kind of leads off with a with a cliffhanger so that the story isn't resolved so I won't go too much into it but yeah just like look at this stuff like yeah, like, look at the cool. action of it. It's just so cool. Like, and I like the how it's the concentric circles out of the the corner. Yeah, like it's just it's just so done so well. I absolutely love it. But yeah, it's really really cool. Um, digging it. 
It's very hard to find, by the way. Yeah. Black Widow sells out basically every week. That's so cool. good. That's a really good sign. That like it's very hard to find. Too. Yeah, and the movie's coming up. Yeah, so uh, my next or my final solo book is Black Cat Annual Number One, second black book. Uh, written by Jed McKay, drawn by Joey Vasquez, colored by Brian Reber, and lettered by Farron Delgado. Um, so, so Black Cat and her crew are flying, and they're grounded in Korea. And they run to White Fox, who we recently saw in the Taskmaster mini, which is great because Jed McKay also wrote that. Mm. Um, so, um, they're basically grounded. They're like, you're using falsified credentials. She's like, so, <laughs> basically... <laughs> And she's like, I'll let you go, but you got to do a job for the Republic of Korea. She's like, fine. And so basically, the Korean version of Superman is being mind-controlled by the, the Korean mob. So she has to team up with, like, basically the Korean version of the Justice League <laughs> to stop him. And so we got a couple cool characters, like the general, that is a totem that walks like a man. Mr. Enigma, an unkillable brawler. Luna Snow, Gunner 2, and Anti-Anti. Uh, so yeah, it, it, they don't get a lot of spotlight. It's it's pretty much all about Black Cat. Um, but they find out it's this yeah this mafia that's doing it uh, has them under control. the The team basically fights off the Superman dude while she does what she needs to do. And um, there's this scene where I was telling Josue about this that was so great. Um, they're surrounded by these fucking like they're called the Maidens, and like okay, I'll just show you. This is the first. I hope you can see this. This is the first shot you get of one. Oh, okay. See up oh, in the rock, oh, raft, yeah, rafters, yeah, rafters. And then over here, you can see they're all surrounding them. Nice. It's like like creepy like dolls and stuff. And they're like, it's it's her and White Fox, and she's like, oh, you know, we're gonna have to do it. She's like, well, I'm from Queens, I can rage. And then you just there's just this scene of just violence for page two pages. So, and they're just ripping throats out and shit. It's so great. Like, underrated, violent book, in my opinion. So <laughs> um, so they win. They found out it's like this dude who's basically can mind control. And they end up stopping him. I'm not going to reveal why. It's really good. But yeah, Black Cat. Love it. It's so, so, so good. Jed McKay is doing an amazing job with that book. So uh, There's also part three of the Infinite Fury storyline, which is an ongoing uh, backup story in a lot of annuals. And it's about the Infinity Stones. Okay. And about who currently has them. Uh, so, currently, we do know that we know the location of three of the stones. We know that Star has the Time Stone. No, wait, has the Reality Stone. Sorry. Uh, we have Overtime has the Time Stone, and Quantum has the Space Stone. So, hmm. the locations of the Soul, Mind, and Power Stones are still unknown. So, yeah, interesting. Okay, pretty cool. All right, now we're going to start into our shared books. Marvel's number three. Ooh, okay. Uh, as always, written by Kurt Busiek. Artist is y- y- Yildere Senar, colored by Richard Eisenhoff, and lettered by Simon Boland. Um, this one was entirely a flashback story. Right. Um, so set set in the mythical country everything else has been set up in and it's basically reed and and uh reed and ben Grimm before they're the fantastic four mm-hmm. and they're teaming up with other smart people and other soldiers and stuff to try to get in and steal like a sample of the monsters 
Um, these characters include Batroc, which yes. I always like Batroc. Um, George Tarleton, who would later become Modoc. Uh, and then uh, Craig Simpson, and then Elaine Racine, who I'm not super familiar with, but he's a French character. I know that much. So, hmm. uh, but basically, yeah, they discover that this island or this country is just creating monsters. I love that there's like six sides to the conflict too. So, like the Russians show up with the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I love that the Shi'ar show I, up. I Shi'ar and just like let, you know what? Let's just play. But they're like. No, maybe not. <laughs> just walk over. <laughs> like I thought that was really great. So, um, but yeah, it's just a fun flashback adventure, and it's done in a very classic comic style too. So that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, and we get a cool tease with Fury then. So, um, enjoyable. I mean, unspectacular, but enjoyable. Right. It just it, re- it really just set up like just like you said, like it's a complete flashback episode or issue where it didn't really like even try to touch back on the main storyline with like the dude with all like the gadgets and stuff. The main character. Yeah. It was just setting up something here. And I'm pretty sure it's going to pay off later, but yeah, Yeah. pretty cool. Yep. Next up. It's a big one. Giant size spider, amazing Spider-Man, the chameleon conspiracy. Holy shit. Uh, Written by, okay. Okay. Written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson. Yes. Pencil by Marcelo Ferrer, Carlos Gomez, Zay Carlos, and E. Guerra. Yeah. Inked by Wayne Foucher, Carlos Gomez, Zay Carlos, and Inguera. Mm-hmm. Colored by Andrew Crossley, Maury Hollowell, and Rochelle Rosenberg. Lettered by Joe Caramagna. As you can tell, this is a big book. Um, and this wraps up The Chameleon's Conspiracy. And this is my stepping into The Chameleon Conspiracy. But luckily, Josue tells me every week what's going on, so I have a pretty good idea. And, um, I mean, it's good, but my main thing was the... My main concern was spider-man's sister right that that, that, honestly, that was really the whole time though the, the main my main focus too yeah so um it was really cool and it was about you know the whole how chameleon is directly related to uh craven and that's not really something people talk about a lot in comics but that's been canon for a while now mm-hmm. and how maybe chameleon's not one of a kind maybe there's a lot of him <laughs> maybe they were trained that way and basically the question we're left off was is Spider-Man's sister Spider-Man's sister? Mm. Was she told she was? Does she? Because she believes she is, but was she told so young she doesn't remember? Yeah. You know, or maybe maybe her parents were fake too. Like it just gets really trippy. He starts just fucking with her head near the end. So uh, the other major thing was Ned Leeds teaming up with Spider-Man and being a badass, which was a lot of fun. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, what would you think? Um, no, honestly, I mean, like I said, like the main, my main focus was like the answer to Teresa because it really wasn't like until like the last issue where it just it finally raised like, oh shit, what if she's been like a fake this whole time? Yeah, and then you get that weird like, why the last man stands where you get like these three options and like any one of those three could be your truth, whatever you choose it. And like the one that really freaked me out was like, ah, oh, damn, what if she is a spawn of the chameleon parents, the chameleon clone parents? Exactly. Instead? And I was like, oh, that seems like the most viable one because. You don't want to completely write her off because we would. Some people do ta- attach themselves to characters and to just say no, they were fake. It's just kind of like you, there's nothing to hold on to anyway, you know. So it's kind of like uh, I don't know the, the shot of her like having like that fake illusion of her having like the the chameleon face was like, oh no, wait, is it? And then you just I do and I don't want this answered. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do like the you know it's the the family you find you know. Not oh, totally. Family. Yeah. So I, I hope in the end she. Just is like, well, you're my brother no matter what, you know. So. Yeah, but it's cool. It was cool, and I'm looking forward to the Sinister Foes. I might jump on ASM for this. 
Oh, for is the Sinister War? Fuck, yeah. Yeah, because it, it looks really cool, and like we get a bit of a tease at the end with it, too. So Honestly, I thought that was going to be his closing book, but it seems like it might be two two different things, so he can kind of have the extra issues. Because yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 70 and then Sinister War 1, so I'm pretty sure, I hope Sinister War is treated as its own numbered thing, and we can still get those last four or three issues, um, just like for all the closing stuff. Yeah. Uh, for this issue, I did like the joke where he's... um. When he finally, when he gets like, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. And he just like bends the bar and like the one dude's like, you fucking made us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, one, how would you know that was Spider-Man driving a giant thing that Spider-Man doesn't really drive, but yeah. all things like you fucking Spider-Man, you goddamn menace. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I loved it. Uh, that takes us to The Eternals, number oh, five. Written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Asad Rubik. Colored by Matt Wilson, letter by Clayton Cowles. Um, I love non-traditional storytelling. Kieran Gillen does it as well as anybody, basically. Mm-hmm. In that he starts like he starts the story but doesn't tell you the background and then, then tells you the background. You find it out as you go. <laughs> so this one opens up with Cersei basically telling Tony Stark, Yeah, I'm killing everybody. I'm the one doing it. <laughs> and I'm helping Thanos, basically. And we find out that was done to just lure Gilgamesh out, which is great because <laughs> Gilgamesh doesn't fuck with Eternals anymore unless he needs to. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they basically were able to do that. And Icarus shows up and they just have this awesome fight. I love Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh was an Avenger. They keep saying that he was an Avenger. Or like, I want to like want, Well, way. him and Cersei, I think, were the only two that were actually Avengers. Oh, really? Icarus was never actually knighted no. as one? <laughs> no. Damn. They're all, they all kind of like... Why would I bother? You're like, I've got to do So, and then we see Droog try to talk Thanos into, you know, working with him because that's what Droog does. And, um, and then we find out, I think we found out who the traitor is, or at least a traitor. And that would be Fastos. Yeah. Uh, he, he's definitely the one who sabotaged the machine. I don't know if he would be capable of actually killing uh Zorus, the prime eternal so mm-hmm. like that's interesting but i guess if, i guess if he could help thanos get in True. so he, do, he doesn't know the technology and everything so it's kind of an interesting betrayal i i would never have thought of him to be honest but that's you know good storytelling so um and it's like he said you know his ending thought i'm just destroying the eternals i'm not destroying the earth so and then what was it how wrong he was this <laughs> <That was> is <laughs> wrong <laughs> yeah but yeah, really cool. I, I, I've, you know, we've we've had the, we've had the tease, and we've had the murder investigation for basically a whole volume now. Yeah, which was I've already I've been, talked about it before. A really good way to get to know the Eternals if you don't know them. True, and this case, and then for a second, I was gonna say like, oh, this is like the one time, like the issue where they can finally focus everybody as a group and not really focus on one. But no, the main focus was like uh, at least like telling Gilgamesh, uh, the forgotten one. Yeah. And honestly, the whole time, like how how righteous he was, like it was like his attitude and how self righteous he is about his cause. His suit didn't help. I kept I kept seeing the Phantom Ranger <laughs> as Gilgamesh because <laughs> I read I read that one first, um, and then it just it kind of made it for like a very enter- a very entertaining issue. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I dug it. I'm really I'm really enjoying this. And again, I'm just getting more and more hyped for the movie. Oh, totally. Like, and uh, Don Lee is going to play Gilgamesh. By the way. Oh, dope. Um, the guy from Train to Busan? Yeah, fucking dope. Yeah, yeah so I'm really excited about that. And I don't know how much we're going to match up with um, with this story and everything, but 
the guy that plays Fastos mm-hmm. is Paperboy. Yes. Okay. Fucking cool. <laughs> so, I love I'm excited. I would do like the magic stuff. Yeah. I'm super excited. So yeah, I can't wait for that movie. So much. <laughs> uh, next up, the United States of Captain America. Oh, fucking fun. So of course I got the wraparound. Oh, hell yeah. Such a great one. It's so good. Only because I just, I love Bucky Cap design. Like the yeah. reflective, like yeah, outfit is so good. All right, so, um, so we got two stories here. Uh, one's just really a backup story, though. Uh, the other, it's kind of an origin story. The other one's the main plot point. So, main story written by Christopher Cantwell and drawn by Dale Eaglesham. The backup story written by Josh Trujillo, drawn by I, I want to say it's is it if because they're from Mexico. How do you pronounce it? J A N. Is it Jan or John? I'm or just Jan? Because I looked them up. They're from Mexico, but I want to make sure I pronounce it right. And it's, just, uh, J- just John or J-A-N, you know? So I don't know if they were you. Uh, uh, it could be. I mean, I mean, it's because it's like in Spanish, the J is more of like an H sound. So it could be Han, like Josue, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, last name Bazadua. So uh, colored by Matt Mian, lettered by Joe Carmagna. So basically we get Falcon, Cap, and cap cap (laughs) (laughs) and uh oh and by the way it opens up with this amazing story that is basically like basically calls out all the white supremacists that uses uses captain america as their fucking defense tells them to go to hell basically which i loved because good god do i hate white supremacists using captain america yeah it's almost as bad as them using viking culture culture oh god so uh but yeah it's really cool um and then we get straight into the story and uh, it, someone steals Captain America's shield, and they seem to be dressed just like him. Like him, him and Falcon. This panel was just yeah. reminded me of such a nod to um, Steve Epting with a uh, Brubaker. Uh, it just that yeah, yeah. smile, that face, just looks like Ep- Epting's work. So that's a cool nod. Totally. So, um, so basically, they're trying to stop him. Uh, he uses the shield to destroy a train, and Cap and Falcon have to help save people. And who shows up but our new Captain America that we've been hearing quite a bit about. Uh, Aaron Fisher, who is a 19-year-old uh, runaway who rides the rails mm-hmm. and is the Captain America of the railroads. Which sounds lame, but it's, I enjoy it. I've really enjoyed it, actually. Fuck yeah. Like I, I do like how, because Captain America kind of calls it, or no, Falcon calls it. It's like, what, you're like the Woody Guthrie version of Captain America? I'm like, yes, they, they know it's silly. And as long as they... They dress. Yes, we know this is silly. Then I'm fine with it. Yeah, you know, if you try to pretend it's cool, like I don't want to call it DC all the time, but <laughs> they did this stupid story where there was the Superman of like all these different Supermans. Yeah, and they had um, they had Super Chief, <laughs> which is exactly what you think it is, and it looked it was me and Liz were like, this is really racist, and then they did Man of Bats, who was also a Native American version, oh my and God. he rode a buffalo. Jeez. Yeah, and that's just done really poorly, so this is a good example of it being done well. And basically, uh, Aaron tells them, hey, there's all kinds of Captain Americas across the country working together and stuff, and <laughs> so Sam and Steve decide, you know what, Let's we're going to do a road trip, and we're going to find these people, and also we're going to get my shield back. <laughs> So, yeah, and then we know from the solicits and everything else that Bucky and John Walker are going to join them, which is amazing. I cannot wait. <laughs> so, 
And then, yeah, the backup story is Lily Aaron Fisher's uh, origin, which is really cool, really well done. Uh, it touches on themes of like homelessness and, um, you know, basically being hope and also has a really great LGBT character. So I yes. love it. <laughs> uh, so what'd you think? Um, honestly, I've been, I've been excited for Aaron for, because I, and one of them, one of my being because of all the fucking hate that he didn't deserve to get before his debut just because, Oh, you're going to make a Captain America gay. It's like, yeah, sure. Especially <laughs> yeah. if it fucking works in, in this case when it's like for a fucking cause. And it's not just like, um, what Sam said, like the, the call out to him, but more of like, yeah, he is that character, but he's that person, but it's more of a network of that phrase instead. And that yeah. just works. Cause it would it would suck. It does suck for a lot of people out there that do live in this risky lifestyle and then just happen to be gay and then just end, and getting worse like events, I mean worse outcomes because of it, just because like they have no security, no backup. But you have people like Aaron Fisher and that's that's such a fucking great idea. And then yeah, you have Steve and, and Sam being like, Well that's too dangerous, like we should go stop them. But it's like they have their own cause too, and like they're doing this for themselves and it's like it's really fucking cool. I just I really liked it. It came as a surprise. I thought it was going to be a one-shot book, but then it's like, if mm-hmm. this is a new cat book, hell yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, ah, it's cool. I dig it. Like, I dig I, it too. I, I'm excited to learn about these other characters we're going to meet. So, all right, let's kick it over. Now we're getting into the, the cream of the crop. <laughs> the mar- I'm, don't get me wrong. We love those other books. But now we're getting into the best of the best of Marvel's foot now right now. Oh, yeah. Shang-Chi, or Shang-Chi, number two. Shang-Chi versus Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Jean Luen Yang. Yes. Drawn by D- Dai Kuron. Awesome. Uh, colored by Triana Farrow and lettered by Travis Lanham. Just the dream team. Like, just, I just love it so much. <laughs> and did they just draw martial arts action as well as anybody. And just, they write well. Oh my God, it's just perfect. Dude, this fucking oh, panel. <laughs> looks baller. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking great. So basically, they're invited, uh, the, the, the Five Weapons Society is invited to a auction for a cosmic cube because they're technically a, a villainous organization. And they're there with like aim and the hand and Hydra and stuff. And um, there's basically they're doing the auction and they, the five weapons society realizes, Hey, we have enough money. We can win this auction basically. Mm. Uh, so they go, the auction starts, and in the end, they lose because the hand has more money than they expected because of something that happens in the story. I won't get into that. It's pretty funny, though. Um, so they lose, and then Captain America shows up. And the entire time this is happening, uh, the woman selling the cube, we find out, has a past relationship with Takeshi, Brother Saber. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things about the Shang-Chi series and the last Shang-Chi series is these two backup characters, Brother yeah. Hand and Sister Dagger, are just amazing, and they're getting so much development, and I love it. I love like, how this was how it was how it was explained uh, in, for this issue why Sister Dagger isn't in this issue. Yeah, I feel like Sister Dagger is such a character that she would tell "fuck you" to Jean uh, Luan Yang. I'm gonna be in this issue because I want <laughs> to be, but because it's a 21 and over event it would be the only reason why she couldn't really go and why she, why she understood why. <laughs> yeah. So basically Captain America attacks and it seems like him and Shang-Chi are fighting against each other. And then they start working together. It was all a plan all along. Basically Captain America was his backup plan, but brother Saber didn't know. Oh yeah. So brother Saber gets his hands on the cube 
looks at it for a moment, and then hands it over to Captain America. Mm-hmm. And we find out that he did use the power very briefly in order to help uh, the person who was selling it, uh, his uh, Lady Iron fan was her name, mm-hmm. um, who he still has feelings for, it looks like. You know, they were so cute together at the beginning. Oh, of the I mean, like the, the, that was the whole reason why he was hunting down his necklace or to clean his necklace. Yeah, yeah that was a great bit, yeah. so And basically... Uh, he saved her and uh, basically made it seem like she was captured, but she wasn't. So, and that he actually Lo- gave the cube. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just really really cool. So I really liked it, and God, I can't wait for more. And the next one we know is going to be Shang Chi versus Wolverine. Dude, I'm so excited. <laughs> and the the solicit Shang Chi discovers yet another sibling he never knew he had. Even more surprising, she's a mutant. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty dope. <laughs> so fucking dope. <laughs> I think I think if nothing else, we're gonna get a badass new mutant out of the storyline. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> like imagine being like a master martial artist and a mutant. There's like three of those and they're all amazing. <laughs> so all right, so that takes us to our third and final black Marvel book of the week. Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade number four. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so, of course, creative team really quick. Uh, written by Cy Spurrier uh, and Sergio Devia. Inked by Sean Parsons with Mark Deering. Colorist by Arif Prianto with Chris Sotomayor and Andrew Crossley. And letter by Corey Petit. So, we, basically, we're still going through the struggle with Dane and Mordred. And... Uh, Going through this, I just got to say, and I, I know you'll probably agree with me because I bet this is probably your favorite part of the book. When, for lack of a better word, Black Knight goes Super Saiyan. Oh, fuck yeah. His design is so fucking sick. Dude, like, it's yeah. just so good. <laughs> like, I love it. So, but yeah, basically, it's him and he's trying to, you know, keep it and everything like that. And um, Elsa Bloodstone ends up, ends up leaving him because she got the Bloodstone back. That's all the only reason she was there. Oh, so, <laughs> I think she'll come back. Oh, absolutely. Surely, right? She has to. That cannot be like a... It's not really like the moral goodbye, especially for a mini. Like, you don't really, like, just poop out like that. Yeah. But it's cool. It came down to the to them to fight. And there's just a really cool moment where Dane basically puts his sword down and says, I refuse to be defined by my flaws. And then Mordred runs him through. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he doesn't have the sword, he's not going to come back to life, you know, like he normally does. And then Mordred takes all the ebony artifacts, reforges them into the ebony crown, which looks sick as fuck. Oh, hell yeah, it does. And then he kills, seemingly kills Jax, the young uh, the history uh, yeah, student. Yeah, completely actually vaporized her. Yeah, so she is holding the sword. So I don't, well, know, if mean, I don't know if that means something. We'll see. But day we find out that Dane's not actually dead. She's also on the next cover holding the sword. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we're, we're getting a new Black Knight. That would be cool. I'd be okay with that. We also have him like wearing the crown too. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. It might not be over either. Yeah. But I really dug this. I'm just, I love Black Knight so much. He's like, again, low key, a Marvel character. I absolutely love. And I know you weren't super familiar with him. No, yeah. So, so has this been like a like how you feel starting to get to know the character a bit? I mean, it is, it is really cool. I actually, like how heavy and how serious he's like, or they're they're taking it, or at least like 
that type of character can just be like, I don't say like aloof, but be like, not really give a fuck. But in this case, you get to see like what matters to him or like the stakes are like, what, what kind of stakes that he like, gets involved with. Mm-hmm. And it's just very heavy. Cause it's just like a lot of stuff has to go, has to pass by for like to control this fucking blade. And it's not just like a knight with a black sword. It's just like, there's so much, there's, there's so many layers. There's a lot to it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was cool. Cause we got the King of black one shot. That's yeah. kind of an idea. And then as that, and then the series progressed, there's humor, but it's slowly fading out. Oh, totally. Yeah, I was yeah. I was expecting it to be like a dark comedy, but that dark comedy has slowly faded because again, like the stakes have actually like come up. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. So, next up, and this book, Better Ray Bill number four, cool. written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson, colored by Mike Spicer, lettered by Joe Sabino with Daniel Warren Johnson. And this was really cool, and it's a great issue if you don't know Better Ray Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just, oh, the horse Thor, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, Better Ray Bill and the physical body of Scuttlebutt are um, basically having to fight their way, or I don't know, fight the way, wander their way through his memories being like projected because the f- memory files of Scuttlebutt are being. Uh, hacked by a giant squid <laughs> so, which is just great so we get to see a bunch of really cool moments in better ray bill history including the fist fight he has with thor yeah um we get to see him being made in a better ray bill which is so sad sick he volunteered for it to save his people mm-hmm. and it's just like that's really sad and then you get to see him like see himself in the mirror for the first time and a really interesting scene with his mother and and then before the fire came i'm pretty sure that was galactus by the way because they did, they do that thing where, um, or was, was it Galactus or the Phoenix? I can't remember. Well, I mean, like um, they're doing like the hand with the sword. So I thought that was uh, that was already um, Surtur. You know, oh no, Surtur destroyed it. He he was made to stop Galactus. I want to say though, mm-hmm. originally. So, uh, kind of like Silver Surfer was, I think. But I might be wrong. I, I could be completely mixing those two together. So, um, but in the end, they are, they're able to free ship Scuttlebutt. And it crashes, and then we get this killer two-page shot yes. with the sword, sword of Surtur in the yeah, distance. Two badass two-page spreads in this book. Yeah, and he's ready. He's ready to go get it. And then Surtur himself shows up and basically is like, come get some, bitch. <laughs> so, it was really dope. Um, really it wasn't as It wasn't as funny as the other issues because Scourge was basically tied up the entire time. <laughs> But really, really good. What'd you think? I mean, honestly, like I think this was like the issue for like, yeah, like, let's like let's let's knock it back on the on the comedy and like explain some like Beta Ray Bill lore. But Darren Warren Johnson being like, let me just let loose on like some crazy shit I've been itching for. You oh, get yeah. two double page spread, and then like that last page of Surtur, and just like he looks really fucking cool. <laughs> he looks dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. So. Uh, okay, the only one issue left. So one issue left. I'm not. <laughs> please do not be done with Beta Ray Bill. Like, please be around still in, in the in Johnny Case's Thor book. He did pop up a couple times in Thor. So yeah, and he is the commander of the Asgardian armies. Now. True, true. All right, and then our last non-X book, Daredevil number thirty-one. This fucking cover. same cover. <laughs> this fucking cover, <laughs> written by Chip Zdarsky, penciled by Mike Hawthorne, inked by Adriano Di Benedetto. Colored by Marcio Meniz, letter by Clayton Cowles. So, Daredevil's in jail, and he's recovering from the attack that nearly killed him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Electra has failed her new. Basically, she recruited a sidekick, and I feel like she did that because she's just like, "Well, that's what heroes do, right?" <laughs> and it doesn't go well. Yeah, and then Mike Murdoch is ruining everything. Basically, that's a good summary. So, um, yeah, we get a lot with Matt in jail where he's just like, you know, trying to deal with it, and we get a really cool confrontation with the warden who wants him killed, and he basically doesn't give a shit anymore. It was really great. So, yes. Um, we get some more stuff about the crime stuff going on where Mike is basically trying to negotiate a peace treaty between all the crime families, which is just fun. I can't wait for Mike and Matt to both be around. Ooh. And they're going to be on opposite sides, which is going to be fun. Um, Electra goes after Izzy Libris, uh, who we find out has been given Bullseye to help stop the new Electra, or the new Daredevil, I should say. And uh, then we lo- we close off with a scene that I cannot wait for this, for this stuff to resolve. Oh my god! Where Bullseye is just up somewhere, shooting people in the head, and he's like seven. Let's see by my count, that means one million six hundred thirty-one thousand nine hundred ninety-three to go, Manhattan. And basically, he's just gonna kill people until Daredevil shows her face. Oh my! Fucking hell! I can only imagine when News gets back to prison. To Daredevil, oh, yeah. and it's like, oh no, maybe I should take the deal to get off early. <laughs> maybe I should get out, like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> get out. <laughs> no, but but his panel though, where it's just like, I ruined your panic button, war, not because I'm scared of help coming. I just want to hear you scream for it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's a fucking Moon Knight line, damn it. <laughs> like, uh. All right, guys, and now we're onto our X books. You're gonna start with cable, aren't you? Of course, for starting with cable. <laughs> <laughs> There's never, there was never a doubt. Um, so we're gonna start with cable number eleven. Um, this is the next to last of the Hellfire's Gala. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the other one in a second. Um, written by Gary Dugan, drawn by Phil Noto, letter by Joe Sabino. Uh, this actually doesn't really touch on the Hellfire Gala at all. It's the only one that doesn't really. I think true. But it's it's set during the same era, so we're going to talk about it. Um, basically, we we know that Kid Cable was like, "Hey, we need to bring back old Cable," and finally they get everybody to agree to it. So they bring back old Cable. Also, hmm. <laughs> the last Space Knight shows up and is like, "I believe you have my sword." <laughs> I loved that moment so much. I was like, "Oh shit." I've come to claim what's mine. It's like, sorry, it is not here. Just give us 10 minutes with it. <laughs> so we get old man cable back, which is great. And then we get a moment that I went, oh, I literally went, oh, hello, when him and Hope hugged each other. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Had that moment with Kid Cable. It's the same thing, but it's not the yeah. same. It's not the same thing. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, they're teaming up and they recruit their team, including Ileana. Yes. Which is great because um, Cable gives her something, a coin. Yeah. And says, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but you're going to need this someday. I was like, fuck you, Cable. Stop doing that. (laughs) 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 Fucking time travelers. Uh, They get Domino. They get Deadpool. (laughs) For some reason. Um, And then Kid Cable gets dumped. Which is great. And then they get back together and kiss. And yeah. Um, Yeah. And then we get this really mysterious moment where 
they're, everything's about to happen, and Cyclops tells Jean, you know what's about to happen, right? And she's like, yeah, every kid grows up too fast, especially mutant kids in this family. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. What? what? What's going to happen? Yeah. And then we cut to Strife basically ready to sacrifice the babies, and then Cable comes in. Like, adult Cable comes in with the Sword of Galador, by the way. Mm-hmm. And our postscript is, next cable forever yeah <laughs> what the fuck uh, is kid cable going away i mean remember that was it last issue or the one before when we had that glimpse of the future cable where we said we kind of said that's more like an old kid cable look and then now with gene kind of yeah. saying that it's like uh, is that really gonna happen maybe i mean just so we can have regular cable regular old man cable bag <laughs> Like, if Kid Cable came back... Okay, we're going to talk about time travel for a moment. <laughs> okay. If Kid Cable came back, then Kid Cable didn't stay in the future. Therefore, everything Cable did in the future doesn't happen. You're right. <laughs> so, you know, if so facto, Kid Cable has to go back and be Cable, so Old Man Cable can show up. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have two Cables. They That's one of the rules of Krakoa. They can't have two of the same people. True. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. And by these laws, you're right, yeah. Yeah. So, we'll see. I like it'll be a shame. I've actually really enjoyed the cable run. I I know there are some people saying they weren't really liking it. And I, I've seen some reviews that this cable run. Like, yeah, some people are saying it's like the lowest of the X Men books right now. Oh hell and no! It's definitely lowest in sales I've noticed, but I like it. It's it's fine, dude. It's fucking great. I mean, yeah. I mean, touching into like that that culty shit with the baby stuff, like oh yeah, that's fucking dark as hell. Like it's and not just like being dark makes it cool, but it's just like. Cable's the one dealing with that shit. Like it's it's, and then then to have it be like all coming back to strive, and it's like, oh man, it's it's been awesome. Yeah, and then like the guest star of the week kind of thing that was going on, where yes. he teams up with somebody different every the week. Domino awesome. issue with the fucking meteorite. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> like uh, uh, yeah, I loved in this book where it's just like you get the, you get the impression that happens all the time. Where, like if Deadpool's around and there's a telepath. Everybody just shut the fuck up. <laughs> How come <laughs> yeah, nobody's talking? Oh, wait, you guys are carrying on telepathically, huh? It's like, <laughs> I like that he caught that, but it's like, it would be so true. Nobody said no. That's Nobody denies it. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Oh. I know, that's the appropriate noise to make. Our final issue for the week is the final issue for X Factor. X Factor number 10. No. 10 issues is not enough. No. A hundred issues isn't enough Mm-mm. for the record. So, Sway, are you ready? I guess. It's been two hours. We I got that cover. I got that cover. That's a great one. I got that cover. Ah, oh, she's so cool. I got that cover. And I, might, I might get this one. I might get that one. I got all four. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, because I want X-Factor to be the best-selling comic book this week. <laughs> no one knows what the fuck is going on. So, um, it's the last issue of the Hellfire Gala, and a lot of the Hellfire Gala stuff we're going to touch on actually refers back to other books. Uh, but really quickly, story by Leo Williams and David Baldion. I don't think David's always gotten a story credit. I think it's the first time, if I remember correctly, which is really cool because oh. they work so closely together mm-hmm. that it's really cool he gets the story credit. Yeah. Uh, script by Leah, art is by David, David Baldion, David Messina, and Lucas Wernick. Color by Israel Silva, and letter by Joe Carmagna. So we're going to talk a little bit about X Factor tonight, guys. Um, 
regarding this creative team, I will say this. They all have things they're doing, mm-hmm. but every single one of them has the same X Factor tag in their Twitter. <laughs> like each and every single one of them, Israel, even the colorist has it on there because they, they're they committed to it and they love it and they love working together. And if you read the letters at the end, which was the emotional part of the book, so most of the part of the book it's just how much they really, truly enjoyed working together. And it's it's genuinely upsetting for us for multiple reasons. Uh, yeah, not just not just a matter of representation, but a matter of this is one of the best books out there, period. Mm-hmm. It, it won LGBT book of the year for us last year. The concept is just like on point, like to make an extension of the whole Krakoa thing. It was such a great idea. And then to just have these collect collection of mutants to be perfect for the job. It just mm-hmm. it's made one of the most fun, like most fun Marvel books in a long time. Yeah. So I'm not going to go blow by blow throughout this book. Um, but we should. A lot of a lot of stuff happens. Well, I mean, yeah. because there's a reason because <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff happens and they wrap up a lot. Um, but they touch on Polaris going to the X-Men. Mm-hmm. They touch on everything going on with Dokken over um, with uh, Hellions and with him and Wild Child and Aurora. Um, like I said, there's a lot of references to the other books that we go back to the Shatterstar and Richter thing. Yes. Like it, it all just keeps coming. But the main plot of this one mm-hmm. is they had to wrap up prodigy. Yes. At the very fucking least. So Prodigy's mysterious thing, like where he died and he's, he's missing time and he doesn't know what happened. And it's, it's an emotional story and it's not for everybody. I've seen some criticism. Um, online and i will say this i'm not a young black man so i'm not going to speak for people of color of any sort uh however i am bi just like prodigy is so i'll speak for him as a bi man um some people criticized this and said that maybe leah leah and david and this is not the right team to tell the story but i think that's a slippery slope mm-hmm. and i think if you look at the the product that that team has given us so far, they've been nothing but respectful to every single group. Yeah. They've provided us more representation than anyone but Gail Simone ever has in comics. Like it's, it's absolutely incredible and it's a very emotional story. And, and to me, this is, this is a story of something that happens. Um, for those who don't know, basically prodigy was found, found out that he was killed by an older he's like a hollywood producer right yeah and and basically he was killed and there's there's a um there is a implication of something sexual in the process Mm -hmm. which uh you know flat newsflash that happens yeah that's part of reality and it's horrible and it needs it and but the reason we have stories is to paint a spotlight on things that's why we tell stories mm-hmm. and so i i was perfectly fine with this creative team telling the story i think they told it as as like as well as they could and as gently as they could while not taking away any of this thing of what happened to him right so i i will go on record as saying i have zero problems with the story they told no, honestly, I, I didn't see any issues with that. I mean, I I get the point, but it, there was like really, it didn't like overstep any boundaries. It, like while it was being very delicate with the whole process. 
Mm-hmm. I thought it was as well t- told as it could be. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of these people that I've seen criticize it are the same people that got mad at Vita Ayala for queer baiting, which fuck off. Yeah. Like <laughs> go fuck yourself, like Jesus. So um but yeah, I don't want to end on that negative note because it honestly the book doesn't I mean it kinda ends on a negative note, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Um they go back to the gala and Speed shows up. <laughs> and him and him and Prodigy get to have spend the night together and hang out. You know, it doesn't last very long, by the way. Um because then they find we all know what was coming, the the trial of Magneto. We've been wondering who's dead, mm-hmm. who's dead. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most intriguing person to die on Krakoa, actually. Yes. The pretender, Wanda Maximoff, is dead. Yeah. What the fuck? Yes. And that leads us straight into the trial of Magneto. And it's like, like the last page, like the little epilogue with yeah. Wolverine, like, where's Magneto? And it's just like, is it Mystique? We're going straight into Inferno after this, so like, what, I mean, I, like, I don't, I cannot believe after like what what happened last week that Magneto killed Wanda. Exactly, and see that I saw somebody comment, "Oh, we've all been assuming that Magneto killed someone." We're trying to find out why. I'm like, I never assumed Magneto killed somebody. No, I never. Like, I, I assumed he was being framed. Absolutely, that was my, that, that's why. Why I, would you? Why would you include X Factor unless it's to find he's tr- he's innocent? You know what I mean? Like. So I, I thought that was kind of funny that people thought that. I'm like, really? As a can Mystique mask through Logan's senses? Can, could she hide as Magneto through him based on this this circumstances? I'm just. I'm, I'm, I think he smells Magneto on her because they met earlier in the night. Right, but but Logan would actually it would be has a nose that would sniff at the very least one someone else there to, that would be there around. So I don't know. I, I'm just pointing my fingers at her first thing now because she's just she's going to bring the whole fucking thing down. I'm worried that if, because the trial Magneto is going to be like a five issue mini, mm-hmm. that's going to last after Inferno starts. Ooh, true. So Inferno starts in August. So they have two months to tell a five issue story. I don't think that's happening. So I think they're going to be separate. So, but yeah, at the end, uh, Leah and David both write letters, and they're really sad. And I got incredibly emotional reading them. Um. Yeah, and especially David's, because I read a lot of. Obviously, I read a lot of Leah's writing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but having David be emotional about it was really interesting. Though. I, was I like, know, oh. just like all the investment to just like really learn yeah. the character. For a second, I thought I was reading Leah's part, being like the writer, but it's like, yeah. no, David wanted to get these fucking characters right from his point of view too, and it's like, yeah. And what I did like about Leah's part was that she was like her call out because one of the things is like, no, you're taking away Polaris before we knew the book was ending. You're taking one of the best aspects of this book away. But it was apparently Leah all along that was pushing Polaris to move over to, so she can grow as a character. And I was like, okay, that actually made me feel so much better about her joining the X-Men. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm still maintaining something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of the best-selling X-Books. It has a cult following. A yeah. hardcore cult following. Yes. We're two members of that cult. I foresee something coming out of Trial of Magneto. I don't know what form it's going to take. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of Leah Williams, do not expect Leah to be done with the Xbox unless she wants to be. Yeah, no. And David is going to do something. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Like the, all these characters look, looked amazing. Like the, the last part of the book that we didn't really get to talk about in this X Factor finale 
was what I had said from the very beginning. iBoy just being the the heart of the group and yeah. him just being there for everybody and how he was always there for everybody while not being prying like over like prying too much because that's really what his power would be he was yeah. just always there for everyone and just god damn it dude, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna miss these characters if really nothing happens after the trial like something happens like even whatever even if they come back and they just have to like just bring in new new characters or new mutants that are just perfect for the job you know and handle the situations a little differently now because they're missing the other powers or the other the other perspectives <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll see. That's going to be months in the months in the waiting. Mm-hmm. Things could change. I I find it hard to believe they don't have a plan. Yeah. So, uh, but I will go ahead and simply say, um, as we wrap up, uh, because it is the last issue. There's just a lot they accomplished in ten ep- ten issues that I can't think of. I can't think of a ten issue run I've liked more. I'll just say it. I mean, like, for, that short, like for the first ten issues to be like solid back to back, especially back, Marvel, bi- yeah. especially Marvel before it starts being like, oh, it's kind of like diluting a little bit before a, a big main event was honestly uh, Mark Wade's Daredevil. Like those yeah. those first issues were just incredible to revive the character like this. Not that I'm hitting chips first ten issues, but yeah. as far as like that that like yeah. deep, but this but this is an ensemble. But this is an ensemble and like something like yeah. this. Yeah, I don't know. So. I just quickly, I want to go through it and I just want to highlight what they've done um, with this group. So first of all, they brought Aurora back to life. Yes. And her and Akihiro over 10 issues. Oh my God. has become one of the best love stories in comics. Yes. <laughs> It's incredible. Um, Prodigy has basically come out on his own. Mm-hmm. He's just an amazing character. He has a massive future in the X-Men. Yes. I wouldn't have been shocked if he was picked as one of the X-Men. <laughs> oh, dude, could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Eyeboy, as you said, was the heart of the team. And really, I think this put him on the minds of a lot of people that probably had no idea who he was. Oh, dude, for real. Because he was he was post-San Francisco X-Men. Yes. So he's, rel- he's relatively new. Relatively new. And unless you basically read, I think it was Wolverine and the X-Men was yeah. the one he popped out in. Unless you read that, you don't know who Eyeboy is. You know what I mean? And then like what he kind of like manifests in this book, this little like Ai-Jitsu and what he does. Like you were just supposed to be the Eyeboy and like an eye for like, every type of lens. And now you can just do what you just pulled off. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Rachel obviously oh, had a really yeah. good story she adopted a baby uh, silver <laughs> dog um polaris obviously did well because she got upgraded to x-men status and won the elect won the election mm-hmm. you know um and i mean and there's just, a whole story with siren who's kind of like yeah <sighs> there's and no just lot. just so much north star being a team leader kyle <laughs> being there the entire time that, i know we both really loved that. in this book i love that cap was like wait You're a human, and you're in the island, and I love that. It still doesn't get addressed. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Have a nice night. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. And then just, I mean, think about it. Ten issues ago, we still thought Dokken was Dokken. You know, not, yes. even, not even that he's Akihiro. He was a bad guy. Yes. And maybe he's going to reform. Maybe he's not. And now he's one of my favorite characters. Or he was going to be super angsty and just butt heads with like literally all the other guys, but he was yeah, anything which could like have been that. really cliche, and they didn't do it. And they I didn't love that. do that. It, oh my god! That yeah, it's <sighs> I'm really bummed out. Honestly, I'm so bummed out that this is over too, and that's not fair. 
or I mean, I guess I guess ensemble cast. I mean, not in ten issues because I would say A Force, but then but A Force also had the extra five issues that started them out in the Secret Wars as a tie-in, and then they got the supposed ongoing. So it's fifteen issues yeah. of A Force that we got at least. But still, and I would uh, argue most of those characters are probably more developed at the time of that than half the characters in this book. Yeah. So. Anyways, we're not going to rant forever, um, but I wanted to give it time because it's been a very important book to me and Josue. Oh, absolutely. It's been the highlight of the X books for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it won LGBT book for us last year. I, it, If I'm honest with myself, it might be my favorite book of last year. No shit. No. And it might be my favorite book of this year by the end of the year. That's how much I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So. It's a real bummer. It's canceled. I'm not going to be one of those people that get pissy there's been plenty of people getting pissy online about this but just it's a shame but again i'm I'm gonna read anything leah writes i'm gonna read anything david draws oh. so there's no there's not a big loss here no yeah. they're gonna be doing something so awesome well that's gonna wrap us up for the night guys let's wait you got anything to wrap us up with any final thoughts anything like that um no honestly i just i read a lot yeah, me too. Um, as you know, I got a big stack of graphic novels, and I'm slowly working through those, so I will let you guys know hmm. uh, as that goes on. Uh, but keep an eye out on Twitter for us. We're going to give you some updates, hopefully some big announcements soon about some potential stuff uh, that we're going to be doing. Uh, so you can check me out at WHI Podcast Keith. You can check out our producer Liz at... WHI Podcast Liz. Check out the show itself at WHI Podcast. Also check out our other show, uh, Podcast Ultra, with our good friend Crozen, which we'll be uh, releasing uh, the day after this one, where we're going to talk about video games, and I believe we're going to talk a bit about Super Smash Brothers this weekend. So I'm excited to do that. You can find us at Ultra underscore pod. Uh, you can check out... Uh, we have issues and everything else all at geek elite media. So you can check it out at geek elite media.com as well as at geek elite media on Twitter. Uh, you can check out host at host reads host You can check out our other, other show jukebox of vertigo. Uh, our newest episode is out where we, uh, talked about all the best bands that start with the blank. So, uh, I, I, and I cannot believe we'll, we'll, I got to get this in. I cannot believe I forgot about the killers. I'm so ashamed oh, yeah. of myself. <laughs> like, oh, what would have been your entry, just really quick, top of your head? Uh, it, was, uh, it was a randomizer, like like we talked about. Oh Christ! Um, I I know the song. I'm just, it's just drawing a blank. Um, it's my favorite song by them. Uh, uh, well, see, here's the thing. One of my favorite songs by them is their cover of, of Romeo and Juliet, which I keep threatening to put on the playlist. Like, okay, keep, like. Um, probably when you were young. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. I love when you were young. That's a good song. So, uh, or something off of, um, the, the later album, flesh and bone. So okay. I really like that album. So, yep. Um, but yeah, check us out. Our next episode is going to be songs from the guitar hero and rock band soundtracks. So fun. And we're really excited. Uh, we're going to have a special guest as always. Uh, I believe Crozen should be back once again and Daniel will join us as you know, usual. But enough stalling, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on We Have Issues. We always appreciate you listening. Please give us any feedback on Twitter that you have. Um, we are really, really excited to hear back from you guys. And yeah, just, you know, pick up some comics. Let's talk about them. 
and there'll be new comics. I know a lot of comics ended this week. You know, so we talked about it. A lot of ended up, ended up ending. There'll be some number ones next week, guys. There's always <laughs> going to be comics. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. And don't forget to geek out. This concludes our broadcast.